Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson and M33 Productions. Contact us for all your videography and photography requirements. My guest today is former motorcycle racer Gemma Wilson. Gemma successfully competed in motorcycle racing around the world for over a decade. In that time, Gemma won eight state championships, four Australian off-road championships, five Women's World Cup team championships, and competed in the World Enduro GPs as a privateer. After retiring from the sport in 2018, Gemma has created a successful events company that combines her passion for motorcycling and bringing other riders into the sport. Hope you all enjoy listening to this podcast with Gemma. Between the pair of us, we could probably both talk underwater for at least a week. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube, give us a review on iTunes, and uh, yeah, have a nice weekend. Um, welcome, Gemma Wilson. Thank you. Cheers for coming in. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, we, uh, we've spoken about this for a little while, and uh, you've gone through a bit of a rebranding. We've, um, you reached out again and said, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? Um, let's come in and get this happening. So yeah, cheers for coming down, or up, or wherever you've come from today, because I know you usually be coming down, but... Where have you been these last few days? Um, so it, it is down still. I've been in Brizzy at St. Lucia um, training with a bunch of 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. Um, so like the batch of next motocross and enduro riders. Um, and that's we do it every year. Uh, Motorcycling Queensland runs it. It's called the Trip Camp, Talented Rider Identification Program. Um, and it's a really good three days. It's everything except riding the bike. Wow. So we have um, a lot of specialists come in, so nutritionists, psychologists, um, physios, we get Pilates lady come in and get the 15-year-old boys to try and do some stretching, which is always a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to catch up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good three days. And I did it myself as a 16, 17, 19, 20-year-old. I just didn't stop going back. Um, and now I'm a coach there because, uh, yeah, the, the information that these kids get, you can't really get it anywhere else. So it's a really great initiative that Motorcycling Queensland do. Wow. Was, was Rodney Jenner involved in it back then? Yeah, so um, Rod and Chris Urquhart yep. started it um, back, I think, in 2003 and I went for the first time in 2005 um, and then I kept going back, you know, up until probably like 2010 and then had a couple-year break and then went as a female chaperone because mm-hmm. it was two bloke coaches so they wanted like a, an adult female to kind of support any of the girls that went along. And we'd always have like one or two, quite a few of the camps, I was the only girl um, and now this camp we had 10, 10 kids and five of them were women girls and um the caliber of the five girls was just up there so it's so cool to see that that evolution that's for sure it's certainly the landscape of that has certainly changed um from 2005 like you said to today and that's something we'll touch on probably further as we go but uh it would have been cool to see in the last few days. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, like the beep test, the age-old fitness test. Oh, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> These old knees and ankles. Yeah. Um, no, so the the just the results that the girls got were fantastic. I think yep. Charlie Cannon ran, you know, a 10-something, which is is great. You know, there's there's she can always get better. And that's the idea behind it, giving her all this knowledge to go away and, and get even better. Um, but she's already... You know, as a 15-year-old, just, yeah, so fit, so driven, so motivated. It was really cool to see. And this puts them into such a good stead to start 2022. You know, like it's the end of the year, they get Christmas time to sort of discover their goals and then move forward to racing. Yeah, and that's the idea. So it used to be a five-day camp. It's now a three-day camp, which we're going to try to extend it back to five because it's like yeah. too much information in three days, I reckon. Um, and we train them like two and three sessions a day so they're knackered by the end of the three days too Um, but it is that bit of a kickstart so the idea is we've got them to write a training program but we've filled them with the knowledge you know it's a very base knowledge obviously and we don't have sports science degrees as well Um, but to kind of you know they go into a gym and the the local guy at the gym tells them to do something they'll have enough knowledge to know whether it is going to be beneficial or not because there's like so much information out there 
But then we didn't write programs for them. We, as a, you know, as a class and a big whiteboard and we worked out what we might like to do and, we, you know, what we did this week and if this was the first week of our training block, what would next week, week two, look like? Mm-hmm. And they write it themselves and then they write week three. And then, you know, they work out when they can't do it and when they can so that they're more likely to actually stick to the program. Um, and I think one of the biggest things we do is just kind of talking around that goal setting and sacrifice because yep. you can't make it if you're not willing to sacrifice some things mm. um, and teamwork. So, you know, these are 15, 16-year-old kids, so their team is their family. Yep. So, you know, today to sit down with their mum, dad, brother, sister, whoever helps them out and and have that chat, this is what I want, this is my end goal, this is my next year goal, what can we do um, yep. as a family, as a team to make it happen, which I think... You know, when you're that age, you don't even you don't see the big picture. So we try to help them see the big picture. It's a good couple of days for that. And it's a you know, as you know too, motorcycling can be a selfish like pursuit. Like it really can. Um, but if you can get your family in that involved, it sort of brings it back to being a real real team. Not so so much of back on yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, Which is a hard thing to do. Yeah, you you know, you, you, know, you can't do it yourself. Mm. You can do a lot yourself, but you can't do it all yep. yourself, um, especially when you're 15. You can't get yourself to the track. No way. <laughs> and so it's pretty hard if you've got this plan, but mum and dad think that this is your plan. Yeah. How are you ever going to be on the same path? So the idea is to yeah, get the kids to start sitting down and, and chatting about what they want. And hopefully everyone gets on the same page and it makes it easier. It's awesome. And so cool to see these programs, like initiatives and that getting in place, because without them, we just have people just running all over the shop saying this is the best thing we're going to do and that. And it just brings things, things funneled back in, doesn't it? Yeah, and so Rod, um, way back, you know, 2003, yep. sat down with Motorcycling Queensland and they'd, Motorcycling Australia had been running the AIS camps, so the yep. multi-state, you know, and, and usually we have more disciplines. Usually it's not just motocross and enduro. Unfortunately, it was all a little bit rushed because we weren't sure whether it was going to happen with COVID and stuff. So I think they're the sort of only subcommittees that really got involved. Um, this year round, but usually we have trials, road race, speedway. We had a sidecar guy once. like So wow. it is all disciplines and it's really great for the kids to meet other kids from dis- different disciplines as well and kind of see what else is out there because m- motocross kids especially have their blinkers on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's how he jumps in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rod would go down and help out at the AIS, be one of the coaches down there. And the, the co- he said like a lot of the outside people would come in and be like, yeah, you need a sports psychologist, you need to go pay one. Like, yes, you need a nutritionist, you need to go pay one. And Rod's like, well, you know, these kids don't have endless bottomless pockets. Like, So the idea of the Queensland was one was to try to give them the information to spend as little as they could to get the most out of it. So kind of training them to, yeah, to find a way around having to spend bulk coin. I was just better notify you too. We're in the service centre and there's a couple of Harley flight starts. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> Earthquake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it, you don't actually hear it too much over the microphones or anything, but uh, yeah, I should have told you that before we started because you're basic. <laughs> so I worked it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's get into this. Who, who is Gemma Wilson? Um, so Gemma Wilson, um, I am an ex-racer. So I rode enduro from... 2006, I think was, or 2005 might have been my first year's racing Aussies. So the Australian Off-Road Championships as like a 16-year-old. So turned 16, went and raced the women's class. Um, And then 2009 was my first international 16 Juro. I was one of the three girls that got on the first ever Motorcycling Australia team to the ISDE. And we got third, which was really cool. Um, And... An outside company paid for us because Motorcycling Australia were a bit like, oh, we don't really want to spend the money on the women because they probably won't finish because the International Six Day is is quite a big thing. Yeah. And so this outside company supported us three um, to go and, and have a crack and we got third and we, we all finished and 
we did a cracker of a job. So Motorcycling Australia have supported the women ever since. And obviously it's a bit of a shame that Motorcycling Australia themselves couldn't see that back then, but I think times have already changed a bit since 2009. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to that outside company. It was Wellard, I think like a shipping, like import-export company from WA. Wow. Um, they gave women the opportunity um, to show Motorcycling Australia what we could do. So then we went back in... I think 2010 was in Mexico. Nobody from Australia went to Mexico because there was a bit of drug cartel unrest kind of situation going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then 2011 was Finland. We got third again. Um, 2012, I didn't race. I had two broken ankles. Um, so Taylor Jones took my spot as a 16-year-old and killed it. Um, and they got second. And then from 2013 to 2012, 17, so five years. Um, myself, Jess Gardner and Taylor Jones won the International 16 Juro. Um, and then the next year I, I retired and then Mackenzie Tricker took my spot and they won again. And then unfortunately last year there was no ISDE, but the year before that um, they had some dramas yep. and Aussies didn't win for the first time in a long time. What, um, what sorry. an insane run, hey? Yeah, that was really cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I got a bit sidetracked there talking about ISDE. So retired racer, um, so... First Aussies in 2005, first Worlds in 2009, and then I rode the World Enduro GPs from 2012 to 2016. Um, first couple of years on a team, um, a Greek team and then a Swedish team, and it didn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of got to that point where I was, do I retire or do I try and do it by myself? So um, I chose the do it by myself. Yep. <laughs> and myself and my now husband, then fiancé, um, owned a car and a bike in France and we'd fly over and drive ourselves around Europe. So we did another three years as, as privateers but got help along the way because, like, Worlds is, is a big thing. So there was a lot of different people around Europe that supported us, which was cool. Yeah. Um, and then... Retired from ISDs, uh, sorry, retired from the World Enduro GPs in 2016, ISDs in 2017, was trying to make it to the end of 2018 um, and finish up AORCs, but I got halfway through 2018 season and I just couldn't do it anymore. Yep, <laughs> so done. I pulled the pin halfway through 2018 and now I've moved full-time into running events um, and, and coaching. So specifically, lady, oh, not specifically, a lot of lady-only stuff, yep. um, but I do coach um, a lot of dudes as well. It's It's... Like I, I remember my first really, really decent chat to you, Gemma. And we, we've had heaps of chats along the way, but my first real decent chat was standing out the front of OzX in that year, 18. Yeah. 17, 18 it was. And you just were so far removed from being part of the racing part of the scene. I, I remember just talking to you like, no, I'm, I'm just, I feel done. Like it must be a weird feeling to get to that point, yeah, after doing it for so long. Yeah, it, it was. And I think, so about two years earlier, I was really like, do I retire? Do I keep racing? Do I retire? Keep racing like five minutes, like one, one second, I'd be like, I'm going to quit. Five minutes later, I'd be like, I can't quit. And, then, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then um, Stephen Gall, actually, he coached me for that year and we spent a lot of time together and I credit my last two ISDEs, like years of ISDE, World Enduro GP and AORCs to Stephen Gall because wow. he totally changed the way I thought about racing. He changed the way I was riding on the bike. Like he just, yeah, I got my last, I got another two brilliant years out of motorcycling thanks to Stephen. And then when I retired, I knew it was time. There was no like, yeah. what do I do, what do I do? I was like, I'm just done. Yeah, you're cool. You're just, it's all over. Yeah, I actually yeah. pulled a pin in the middle of a race in Dungog. <laughs> it was just <laughs> bike back in the van, hey? Yeah, I yep. just rode the bike into the back of the van. Went, it was a time card enduro, so I took my time card over to the Motorcycling like Australia yep. truck. Um, and Jan Walden was there, who has been like 
the, the boss lady my whole career and, and we got on we get on really well and I was like oh she's like Whoa, what are you doing I was like he's my time card she's like oh are you injured I was like no she's like oh it's, you got bike issues no she's like you don't like the track I'm like I love Dungog like Dungog is single lane grass track like it's me all day I'm like no I love the track she's like well what's the problem I was like I'm done Jan I'll see you when I see you and got in the car and drove 12 hours home and sent out the email and made the phone calls on Monday being like thank you sponsors and like thank you for everything and I know I committed to the whole year but I just can't do it it's just all over yeah that you know especially with the success so much success and to, to do that it takes a strong mind just to walk away <laughs> you know it really does because yeah well, and well done to you. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of knew a bit earlier on in the year that I was I was pretty done, but I'd, I'd sort of committed and my husband was actually well, – he was we got married in the middle of 2018. So mm. in the beginning of 2018, I was like, I don't think I want to do this. And he, he's like, you've already signed things. Like, you've already prepared the season. Like, yep. you know, you, you'll love it once you start. Like, you'll love it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I love it. I love racing. And then I like just sl- – I won the first couple of rounds. I hadn't touched a bike since the six days a year before. And um, the only person that beat me out of, like, the clubby and over 35, over 45, because um, we were on a different track to, like, the pros, um, was Grabo, Ben Grabham. I, I smoked everybody else and I was like, oh, geez, a few months off the bike was a good thing. This is good. And then I was like, all right, cool. I've got some momentum. I roll into the next rounds. I don't even remember. Like, I just think I hated it. And then um, the four-day um, slog through it. Said yep. my goodbyes because I knew it was my last ever four day, and then got married and went on a honeymoon, and then got back and was like, "Oh my god, I still have half a year to do." And then yeah, nah. so d- dragged myself like literally crying to Dungog and <laughs> couldn't do it. <laughs> At least yeah, you figured it out, and that's the main thing. A lot of people just ride on and do their things and just disappoint themselves because they hate it, you know. And yeah, nice and now I get asked all the time, like, "Do you miss it?" And I would, I absolutely hundred percent would, because it was like my whole life for fifteen years. Yeah. But because of what I do now, I still get to load my bike up, go adventuring and, you know, work with some amazing brands and people. Yep. I get like all of the good part of racing and none of the competitive getting myself to Headley in the middle of winter in a freaking blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a van doing this. Like it's insane what people do for racing. Like it really is. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> and did, how like John, one of the most lovely guys going around and how did he step in? Was he sort of like a – a coach for some of those times for you as well? Um, John. How's that work? He's so fantastic and he's like the most emotionally mature person I know and he, he's forever trying to make me better in that <laughs> way. <laughs> and he's doing a good job of it. I'm maturing. Um, <clears throat> so in the beginning, like I, we've been together since I was 17. So yep. he was 17. I'm sorry, I was 17. He was 19. And motorbikes was my thing. And I went off with that and, you know, he lived his life and I lived mine. Um, and then... I did a degree. I did a law degree when I finished school. And so while I, re- while I was studying law, it was still like John worked, I studied law, dad would come pick me up and we'd go racing. Yep. Um, it was still very much my thing. And then at the end of 2011 when I graduated, dad's like, all right, cool, well, you're on your own. I was like, yep, cool, fair enough. And yep. so I started Racing World. So in 2012 I went over by myself and did it. Um, and then 2013 I convinced John to pack up everything and move to Sweden with me. Damn. <laughs> And I think that um, just from what he saw and what I told him about the World Championships from 2012, he was like, all right, this is legit. Like, you know, it it took quite a few years for John to realise that it wasn't just something that I did. It was like it was everything kind of thing. And I think in the beginning it wasn't everything. I was going to be a lawyer. But halfway through that law degree, I was like, this thing, like this degree is just something I'm finishing. I'm going to go race motorbikes. 
So, yeah, and while we were in Sweden together, um, yeah, he, he became the team. And yep. then it was me and him for three years, like from 2014, 15, or the end of 2013, actually, so three and a half years. Like, it was, it was us against the world, and, and it was really, really cool. And, and now with what I do, like, I, I run a business with no real business training, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you're still a team. Like, it's still like the same sort of deal, isn't it? Yeah. And so, and, and he runs business and we run another business together. And like, just, I'm so grateful to have John. He, yeah, he just makes everything so much better. <laughs> Great. As I said at the start, just one of the nicest guys. And if anyone gets a chance just to sit around a fire and talk to him, like your heart rate won't go up. <laughs> just the nicest, nice person, you know, just genuinely yeah, nice. And he does um, love a chat. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> especially late night at a fire. Oh, yeah. But um, what, why law? Why did you, why, like, what made you pursue law? Um, I think just, like, at school, oh, well, actually, so my dad is a very unique individual and I love him so much and I credit a lot of who I am to my dad. And from, like, my preschool report card was, like, Gemma's going to university because I just told everyone that I was going to university because dad had told me since I could walk that I was going, going to, to university. university. <laughs> Um, and then I, I don't really know. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, did, I studied like legal studies, like I did yep. legal studies as a class and I enjoyed it. And I think dad was listening to like ABC Talkback Radio and he heard some guy say that if you're, you know, some rando kid from a small country town in a public school, you're just never going to make it as a lawyer. <laughs> you're not going to get a law degree. You have to have that corporate parent and like go to, wow. you know, go to the fancy private school. And I think dad told me just knowing that I'd be like, well, Yep. I'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I, also my motto was, and this is what I tell kids all the time because I'm a school teacher now as well. So, yep. you know, when kids are like, why are we even here? Like, what is school all about? School is all about showing you a little bit of everything mm. and then you see what you like and then you take that and you roll with it. And when you're 17, like, what, 1% of people would know what they want to do for the rest of their life? Maybe that. If that, yep. yeah. Yep. So my goal was like, well, my idea was aim high, you know, and can't hurt to have a law degree yep. and then see what happens. Um, and that's, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So law degree it was. There it was. Mm. Did you did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Because like as a motorcycle teacher, you're a fantastic motorcycle teacher. Did you know that you'd want to be a teacher? <laughs> no. And I cop it now from all the kids, miss, why would you want to be a teacher? Why would you come back here? And I'm like, look, I was you as well at school, but it's, I'm a relief teacher. Yep. Um, and so my hat off, my hat goes off to every actual teacher out there because they are the best humans. Yep. Um, I'm just a relief teacher. I roll in, we finish a few pages of the textbook, we play handball, I leave. Like, <laughs> relief <good>. teaching <laughs> is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now it's a, it's a fantastic job and I get to hang out with like, yeah, cool young people and they have the whole world ahead of them. Um, but I just did a postgrad degree. It was like nine months from start to finish and then boom, you're a teacher. Yep. Um, and when I was 19, one of I had lots of random part-time jobs um, while I was racing and one of them was a teacher aide at mm -hmm. my old primary school, so a little country primary school. And I knew that I had enjoyed that. So then I was I made friends with this guy who was the behaviour management person for the whole of like the Kalula Coast region. Um, and he was like, Jamie, you'd make a fantastic teacher. And I was like, oh, I did really enjoy, you know, being a teacher aide. And then it was the last year that you could do the postgrad degree in nine months. Right. So 2017 for me was I raced Queensland's, Aussies, International 16 Enduro. I did 
a postgrad teaching degree where you had to do 16 weeks of unpaid prac, like 14 assignments, like all the learning. And it was my first year running the Fox Women's Off-Road Camp Out, so the first year running a business as well. So, like, there were so many tears that year. Thank you, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) Life coach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it's just I thought, look, do it because my motto in life has always been the more I do now, the less I have to do later. So I was like, crack on, get that year done. Um, And now it's this fantastic, yeah, job where I work, I only work at two little schools, Kilkeven State School and more recently Waluga State School. So Waluga has seven kids in the whole school. Really? Yep. So prep to six. Wow. Um, And it's just, it's such a nice time. I go out there, I hang out some really cool kids. Yeah. And then I go home again and I don't have to mark or (laughs) plan or (laughs) drop the microphone. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where you went school too, eh? No, um, so I used to teach at Gympie High, which ah, is where I went to school and yep. I've done one day at Kaiora State School, which was my primary school. Yeah. Um, and look, Gympie High, it's just, it's a bigger school. Yep. And as a relief teacher, you, everybody remembers how they treated relief teachers, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I'd have really good dates at Gympie High, but I would also have those rough ones and I just was like, I don't, I don't need this. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up just getting a random day out at Kilkeven and I was like, oh, this is my home. Yep. And the staff out there, the kids out there, the community out there, it's just so brilliant. So growing up, like as you grew up in the, in the area, mm-hmm. must have been a good lifestyle to grow up in, hey? Yeah, yeah, it really was. So I um, lived on property sort of like between... Gympie and Tinkan Bay. Yep. Um, just out in the bush, just a bush kid. Yep. Didn't have to wear shoes to school until like grade six or something. Just <laughs> had a pretty alternate, alternative lifestyle, hey? Like not alternative, but it was the lifestyle that everyone probably wants to live now. Yeah, yeah, you you're know, probably right. Living actually. off the land and, and that, that sort of feel. That's correct, hey? Yeah, so yep. my, yeah, my dad um, was an organic pork and banana farmer. Right. Um, yep. So yeah, we'd, yeah, just, yeah, live the bush life, you yep. know, swam in dams. Awesome. Yeah. It's what everyone wants to do now, but we weren't attuned to it probably <laughs> then, you know. So it's interesting because I remember you, you told me a long time ago that that was how it was. I was living basically off the land, lived in a, you know, your own private place and did this and that. But when did riding come into it? Um, so actually we, we had a funny home rule. We weren't allowed to ride until we were 12. Really? Yeah. So I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. So he was riding for two years and he'd, you know, go off with dad and, you know, all the friends on a Sunday go trail riding because it's just straight yeah. out the driveway and into the bush. And I'd, well, I can't go, I'm not 12. <laughs> so, you, so you didn't ride a bike till 12? No, and then I got a DT175. Yeah. Um, and I remember sitting on it and trying to start it because Dad would let me like, because I got it before I was 12. Yeah. And I, and I remember trying to start it. And Dad reckons that he did end up giving in and let me ride a bit early because I pestered him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so somewhere around 12, maybe a little bit earlier, um, yeah, I started riding, just trail riding yep. and then did a couple of trail rides and then... Dad and Owen had a go at uh, just a Queensland Enduro. Yep. And I was like, yes, I want to do that. And, and that's how you fell into it? Yeah. Into Enduro? Yeah. Damn, that's insane. I, I honestly would have thought the skill level and what you've <laughs> achieved, you just, because, you know, you've ridden from a kid. But, um, yeah. What was after that, after the DT? What did you get into? What, what was the Enduro bike or whatever to go into? So it was like? actually a CRF 230 I did my yeah, first right. couple of races on. Yep. Um, and then I was at, so there was this big group of like, people, locals that ran these on-track rider rides. So it was a big church group. Yeah. Um, and so as like a 13, 14, 15-year-old, mum and dad were so happy to send me off with this church group yep. <laughs> that weren't drinking and stuff and yeah. riding motorbikes, which was – I think I was very lucky yep. at, that, at that age because that's when we lose a lot of riders mm. because they like, yeah, go off and do other things on the weekends that aren't conducive to riding motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> 
alternatives. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I made friends with these people and, and I think I can credit actually kind of the kickstart into racing a little bit to them as well because they were such a good bunch of people. Um, and had the CRF 230 and I was teaching a school friend, Becky Lally, to ride and she grabbed a whole heap of front brake and just went over the bars and because the CRF 230s aren't like meant, they meant like they're farm bikes. Yep. So it just bent everything. And I was going to do my first motocross on the CRF 230, yep. but it was bent. So Dad ended up just buying me this random secondhand YZ F250. Okay, cool. And then, yeah. I, yeah, I was on the 254 stroke Yamahas for the next, like, 15 years. That was you for, yeah. Yeah, until I quit Fair racing, enough. yeah. 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 That's and all. I flipped it off the start line at Coolum at my first motocross. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just been off a, a DT and a CRF 230 to a whole lot of power on a Wiser 250. Yeah, and I got it on, like, mm. the Thursday and then raced it on the Sunday and flipped it off the start line. <laughs> how, did, how did you go there? Apart from flipping it on the start oh, line. Oh, I don't. I, that's the only thing I really remember about it. And I do remember I had my sleeves pushed up because yeah, right. that was cool gangster. back then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Full gangster. <laughs> we, are you, you're a massively hardworking person, right? But were you a natural on riding bikes? Did that come naturally or was it just really hard work and training and um, what was it? I think like without sounding like a dick, I think it was like a bit a bit natural because yeah. I just I just enjoyed it. I just rode motorbikes and yeah. I had the attitude where oh, worst thing that could happen is you could fall off. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid to give new things a go. Um, because the first time I went to this under 21s camp as like a 16 year old, I sat there and was like, oh my God, you have to exercise for this? Like. You can't just hop on and ride out of the farm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a real eye-opener for me. Um, I had no idea. Um, and then from there, like actually, so Rod, during the week when the kids were running laps, yep. one of the times we were having a chat, and he's like, you know, do you think you were fit enough? Like, do you think that if you were fitter, you could have gone further with racing? And I was like, look, in the beginning, yes, but towards the end, I because I did like Stephen Gall, Tim Cole training for yep. a couple of years in there, which really kick-started me and totally changed like my lifestyle and, and the way that I thought about exercise. Um, and I did get fit. The thing that let me down was actually the on-bike training. Like the worlds were so hard, mm. um, so difficult and so tricky, and I needed to probably spend a little bit more time getting better at the hard stuff on the bike wow. because, you know, I was I was doing enough off-bike training. Yep. Yeah. So uh, like technique, bike technique sort of stuff? Yeah. And so and I did the first year in 2012 of the World Enduro Championships and realised that I had this big gaping hole in my ability to do the extreme test, which was, you know, the cement bollards and truck yep. tyres and big hills in old quarries and things. Um, and so I went down to parks to yep. so ben burrell was like a junior at the time um right riding for well actually he was a senior then he was a really fast junior with mm -hmm. ballard's off-road team and then he was a great young rider young adult rider with kdm factory team um so i went down and he had sort of given up by then um yep. he yeah had changed his mind wanted to be a farmer <laughs> um now he's got family and he looks very happy um <laughs> but <laughs> i went down and rode with his dad because his dad was like super keen fudge um fudge's good mates with jeff ballard and mm -hmm. um they used to do a lot of stuff together and anyways he was a good good coach and he had a trials background because trials would help me with this extreme stuff yep so i went down there had a great couple of days riding was on the tra trials bike one of the days right at the end of the day we were jumping off this causeway into a dry creek and I landed with my toes on the pegs and bent my toes up towards my shins and exploded both my tailless joints and my ankles, ah. so two broken ankles. Um, and so obviously that was a big recovery. Like it was three months in a wheelchair and then like Nana Walker, walking sticks. Like I had 
moon boots on for like nearly six months. Yeah. Um, it was a big, a big deal. And I think that did then right when I was like, yes, I need to get better at the extreme riding. That happened and it took me a long time to kind of get over it in my brain. Yep. And, and I think that then it just always made me a bit shit wow. <laughs> at the extreme enduro yep. stuff. And, and hindsight, you know, I, is great. And I, if I had have realised this, that's how it was going to turn out, I would have probably worked harder to get over it quicker. Mm-hmm. But that's just not what happened. Um, and it wasn't until like, you know, my last, my last World Enduro GP was in the north east of Spain. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. Yeah, northeast of Spain. Um, and that's where my first World Enduro was as well. And my first World Enduro, I was in the deep end. I was riding for this Greek team. It was horrendous and it was wet and I DNF'd. Like I houred out on the Sunday, I think. Um, I didn't know anyone in the pits. Like it was such a big, scary thing. Yeah. And then full circle, five years later, um, it was not scary anymore. I did really good in all the tests. Like I rode consistently. Um, I think I got like... Th- maybe third, maybe fourth, third or fourth. And that's kind of where I was. I was always seemed to be third or fourth and knew everyone in the pits. I had the support from the Miglio Yamaha team. You know, John was there with me. We had two bikes, so he had a follower vest and he'd, yeah. you know, meet me at all the tests with, you know, fresh water and food and camel, you know, change of camelbacks and like all the pro riders had, yeah. you know, like I'd, I'd done this full circle and it wasn't like scary anymore, but I wish I had have been that comfortable right from the start yeah. and I yeah, and I think that if I had of, you know, not had that experience with the broken ankles so early on, maybe that could have changed but it was what it was. Do you think like uh, it's gotten easier for people, like easier in that way, like if there is training to that, like at that time when you went over there in, was it 11? 12 was my first 12, World Enduro GPs. In yep. 12? Like you would have been like right in the deep end. Yeah, and like I, I didn't even know that that's what it was going to be like yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And I, a few of the Aussie boys had gone over. So like Chris Hollis had gone over yep. um, with the Husky team when it was like the Red Huskies and he had a pretty bad experience and he ate some bad meat and, you yeah. know, in Poland or something. <laughs> <laughs> he tells some stories. Um, and like Jared Bewley had gone over and, and Jared was like, honestly, the best training you can do is go tip your bike upside down in an awkward spot and try and get it out of it. And I was like. um and like fudge was real close with like stefan merriman stefan merriman obviously did really well at it was then the enduro world championships and then it was the world enduro championships Mm -hmm. and then it was the world enduro gp they kept changing the names (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and so yeah and he passed on info but i think even with those people telling me those things i still i was not ready for it like even even to this stage it's such a short time like 2012 to now nine years like it it's not that uh, not that long, um, but social media wasn't really as active as it is now. Like yeah. you could you could have a, uh, a relationship with one of the riders over there now, like so easily. Oh, what's this? You know, can you give me some ideas? Back then it was around, but it wasn't like it is today. Yeah, and like, I, I often weird. think like it's such a shame I never got to share this with anyone because social media wasn't really a, a big thing. Yeah, and I like, people would have actually known what I was up to if yeah it was if if it was now like um, Andy Wilkes and. Um, who's the other young fella? It's over there now, doing really well. Narrow it down a bit for um, me. He, he like is doing really well in the um, junior class. I can't think of his name. All of a sudden, he's gonna rack my brain too. Um, It'll come to me randomly. Aussie. Yeah, yeah. And so he and he's he never like he's never won anything here in Australia because he went from like junior, like a fast mm-hmm. junior, just straight over there yep. and just and doing so so well. And these boys have committed to doing 
so, so well and, like, who cares if they don't do well in their first race, you know, they're yeah. going to stick it out. And obviously Matty Phillips went over and, like, yeah. won five world championships um, and he did fantastically. Uh, and then Sanders went over and had, like, a, a little crack. Yeah. But it, it, for whatever reason it didn't work out. And now Milner's going next year. So I think Milner and even Phillips, like, he hadn't won that much in Australia when he went over there. But Milner, he's already got a following here in Australia. Sure. So I think it'll be cool for him to go over there because then more Aussies might follow what's going on at the World Enduro GPs. Because two years ago, I got Steve Holcomb over yes. to do coaching. And nobody even knew, like, who he was. And he'd, like, won five, or five, world, cha- five yeah. world championships at that point. And, you know, he's a fantastic rider, brilliant bloke, like the nicest person. Great spokesperson for the sport. Yeah, yeah so cool. Um, and it, it was, like... You know, it wasn't hard to sell tickets per se, but they should have sold out in like five minutes to this this coaching. Yeah, there's an icon coming to the sport. Yeah, people are like, oh, what, what, like, what is it? What is the Wondra GPs? I'm like, are you serious? But so it'll be kind of cool. Hopefully Milner will drag a lot of Aussie eyes over there. It's It, it amazes me because you're like doing the UFC of motorcycling sport. Like it is hardcore. <laughs> like I, I look at Enduro, like Enduro World Championships and I just see like the things that you can – do on a motorcycle and it's just it's unfathomable like even riding with you Gemma I see the things that you do and I'm like I just don't understand how that can happen thanks <laughs> it's weird I, I just don't and, and I watch like I, I love the sport and I watch it and I'm like this bit should be getting so much more attention because it I guess it's because a lot of people that aren't into motorcycling don't realize how difficult it is to do such and such, like climb those tyres or climb that wall, you know, basically. Yeah, I think it's just that point and shoot and, and wind. And it just happens, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've got really good suspension. Yeah. But I think you're right with the Milner part. He's got such a following here and I think that'll draw some other eyes to it from here as well. So hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Well, like what were the tracks or what were the events like? Was it, you know, you come from an AORC event or something. When you walk in there that first time, was it just... Like insane, like mind blown. It really was. So my first World Enduro Championship, World Enduro GP experience was this tiny little town in Spain mm-hmm. and it, the pits were up this like dead end street and the trucks lined both sides of the road and just, yeah, so many people from so many different countries and like in Australia we're with so many rules around like pit bikes, like you're not allowed pit bikes in an AORC, but you've got like, you know, three world champions like tripling on this <laughs> little like pit bike with no helmets and thongs to like go up and, you know, sign on. Yep. Um, and so I remember that being like from the beginning and then, yeah, walking these tests and yeah, and just having no idea really what I was in for and the super test on the Friday night. So it's like, Oh, it's, it's really like a spectator event kind of thing yep. and it, it just works out as your first test for Saturday morning. Um, it's not, doesn't like, it's not pole position or anything like that. But I remember it being this big scaffold and you had to ride up the scaffold and then like jump off. And I was just like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and it was so steep and hilly and it pissed down rain and it was just this one big rut and just paddling. And I had this kickstart 250 and this Greek guy like on Saturday afternoon had like, it was all muddy and he had like the motor open and he was playing around in there and I was just like, what, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. um, and then I ended up catching a lift to Portugal with yeah. um, Emily Carlson's brother and dad because mm-hmm. I was like, get me away from these crazy Greeks. <laughs> 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 they 
were wild. Um, so I made friends with all the Swedes, which yeah. is then how – and then the bike blew up at the test track in Portugal. Because it's got mud in it. Yeah, because yeah. old mate's been in there fiddling around. And <laughs> I cracked the shits and stomping back down towards the, the paddock. And David Knight, yep. um, I'd actually walked in on his very – huge, very nice mechanic in the toilet Oh no! <laughs> the week before yeah. and I opened the door and he was like, oh, and I was like, oh, <laughs> slam the door. So that really broke the ass with David Knight. So he yep. was someone who like I made friends with straight away. And then there was this really nice French guy, Fred, and I don't even remember how he, we became friends, but he ended up like co-owning the car and the bike, like for retro right. papers um, down the track because yep. he realised I needed help because... <laughs> I wasn't yeah. getting it elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so apparently, like, yeah, if Fred saw me charging down, he might have even given me a lift back to the pits because <laughs> the test track was way away from the pits and this bike had broken and I was, like, losing the plot. And then I ended up making friends with this Joachim Johansson and, um, for the Johansson Swedish team. And then so at that event, we lined up to come back to Italy yep. later in the year and ride with him. So I went to Sweden for six weeks before Italy so that I had got to know him and got to know the bike and it was actually a Honda team. So obviously right. I went from running Yamaha here to Honda over there. Um, and then had like an okay ride in Italy. Um, it was crazy hot. It was like 45 degrees, like in the tents changing tyres in the afternoons and stuff. Yeah. Like it was crazy, crazy hot. And um, starting to make some friends by then um, and then broke my back before – no, broke – no, that was ankles. Broke my ankles before France, but then yeah. the following year broke my back before France. So I never got like a French round in for the first yeah. two years. But then 2013 went back and John and I moved over and lived in like the warehouse, um, like the workshop kind of thing for a few months. Um, and that fell through too because like long story short, <laughs> it, it just didn't work out. Like, yeah. And financially what was – Agreed upon, yeah. changed. <laughs> How often does that happen, hey? Uh, like, yeah. That's, that's Literally watching like a broken bar come off of Jeremy Jolie's bike, so the French guy who yeah. was like a supported rider, the broken part gets put on my bike because in my contract I have to pay for broken parts and then you're Kim going like, that's broken, you have to pay for it. Oh, seriously? Yeah. yeah. And he like, he owned the building that we rented. We worked for this company just up the other end of the workshop like testing like the connections on like back of tv like cables yeah. like it was like full sweatshop gig <laughs> <laughs> and whatever we earned yeah. happened to be the rent cost ah. like it was just dodgy yeah yeah the whole thing sounds, <laughs> yeah. sounds a rot. yeah and, and i guess this is where you can step in these days to the people coming through like you just had five five girls at the five women at the training camp mm-hmm. If they choose to go over there, these are the pitfalls that you hopefully that now can be educated on. Hey, yeah, for sure. And like, I have those couple of connections. Whereas, like, when I when I ended up with this Greek team, like, I'd made friends with this Russian photographer at the six days in Finland the year before, and she was going to take some photos for this Greek team. Yeah, and that's how I ended up on this horrid Greek team. I was going to ask you this, but. Wow. Yeah, so it's, you know, a roundabout way for it to happen and it was a way in which then let me meet Joachim, which also didn't work out well. But then by that stage I had enough friends in the pits to, to do yeah. it as a privateer. But I couldn't have gone over and done it as a privateer to begin with. No. So And now I could pass on these contacts to these other girls who want to have a crack, which it's, is awesome. Yeah, you know, uh, trusted, vetted, vetted people. You yeah, know, yeah, genuinely good people. <laughs> it, it just... Yeah, it just seems like such a such a trip to, to just go over and 
What, what made you actually want to go over there? What was the appeal? Um, so Finland Six Days, yeah. um, the FIM people come over and we're like, we've got a class in the World Enduro GPs for women yeah. um, and we have these amazing travel bursaries, which was like 10 grand um, yeah. to help you get over there if you were from another country, um, another continent. And... I was like, oh, look, I'm finishing my law degree. I'm just going to go get a job. We just bought a house. So we'd signed yeah. um, the paperwork just before I left for Finland. The, oh, wow. The day I got back was like the last day we could pull out and just lose like our five grand deposit or whatever it was, a 10 grand deposit. Um, I was like, you know, I promised John, my, John, John, I promised John <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would, I'd go get a job and yeah. I would help pay for this house. So... We got back. I got back from Finland. We went and looked at the house and John's like, are we doing this? Like, are you committed? And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is what I want. Like, I'm in. Let's do this. Yeah. And then I went down to the ADB Awards, um, which used to be a really amazing thing. So end of every year, all of the dis- different disciplines would get together in Sydney at this U-Butte event and yeah. have the best time. So went down to the ADB Awards, got on it with everyone, talked about World Enduro GPs. I didn't even know. Got back home and I was like, Johnny. Going to Europe. <laughs> the house is yours. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, back then, I just did what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and John was pretty amazing and sort of dealt with it. Um, we're a bit more of a team these days. <laughs> yeah. But that was, that was your, I said at the start, sometimes it can be a selfish pursuit. And, yeah. you know, you've got a good team, though. You know, but, <laughs> yeah. but it, it can be, hey, like, no matter who it is. Um, Man, that's insane. So that's why you went. Yeah, and then so I went over and like I got on a plane and it was I spent my 22nd birthday in the air by myself um, and was I actually had a cry at the airport. I was like, John, what am I doing? <laughs> got on this plane and went and met this Greek team and it was just a shit show from the beginning but I've already <laughs> kind of explained that. Um, and it was an eye-opener. It was an amazing experience and it showed me that I'd done a bad job in Spain and Portugal, right. but there was so much room for improvement. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and then I went back to Italy and it was a lot better. Um, hurt myself before France, moved over to Sweden. I guess did Spain and Portugal, went pretty good. Romania, actually, yep. was um, th- my favourite World Enduro GPs ever. It was so good. And that was the third round. Um, and that's when we'd, we fell out, actually, with, with Joachim. Yep. It was like, it is, enough's enough. Like, you're totally mistreating us and, like... Yep. We it was a mad power imbalance because of we worked for him, we lived for him, we rode for him. Sure, it was yeah, it was owned. crazy, yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think I we were we were working and he called us in for a meeting and he told us what our next bill was and we was like that's bullshit, mate. We're out. Like, yep. so we went back to work and those employee like those employers were like, look, we get mad like freight prices, so we'll send all your shit back to Australia for you. Yep. And then Pelly and Anne Granquist, so Stefan or Stefan Granquist's um, parents, we rang them and we're like, can we come to your house? So we got on a train and <laughs> went right. to their house and hung out with them for a couple of days and then flew to Romania and, and did my last um, my last round with, with the old Kim in Romania. And, like, yeah, it was a bit shit because obviously tensions were a bit high, but it was an amazing, like, an amazing actual track. Like, yep. it was so much fun. And there was, like, big fat gypsy weddings at every church and hotel that Saturday really? night, every single hotel that all of the riders were at and it was just yep. like doo, 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 oh doo, until like three in the morning so <laughs> nobody got any sleep but at least it was all even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and then we went home and raced the four-day in um, WA. Yep. Come, come back to Australia, raced the four-day in WA and then broke my, broke my ankles and then 
yeah, missed the French round, which yeah. would have been my last round with Joachim, but, but yeah. Missed it completely. Missed it completely. When did, like, obviously you had uh, Yamaha support a long time. Mm-hmm. When, like, when you went over as a privateer, did you get Yamaha support over there or you, how, how did that work? Because obviously f- about 2014, 15 we're talking about. Um, when did you go to the, doing your own thing and that over there? So to, to begin with, like, no, you know, I didn't really even get any help with contacts. Um, or anything, because I, I, don't, I don't even know if I tried, though, to be fair. I yep. just was like, I was going to Worlds. <laughs> I found a way. This has happened. Yep. Yeah, and then, I, and then I rode on the Honda team and, and Yamaha, which is crazy when I think about it. They were like, oh, we don't care what you do in Europe. You can run whatever you want in Europe. Like, I was su- supported by Yamaha Motor Australia, and they would, like, pay me for Aussie wins, and then I would spend that money to go race Honda in the other worlds. It was super weird, but wow. it was what it was. Yeah. And then 2014, as a privateer, I think that's when we had the Australian Enduro Cross Series. And, yep, so I was down at one of the, like, the last round one of the years. That at, was huge. At, yeah, at Calder Park. Got Calder, no, near the airport in Melbourne. Oh, Some, something me. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. the Melbourne round, it was the final round um, and they Fox had, forget his name, something, I think, Pierre, let's go with that because it's French. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to judge. <laughs> but, yeah. um, no, and he was like the, you know, Fox dude in Europe and, and I kind of made this – he started like Endurocross in, in Europe. He had this yep. – yeah, it was a long time ago and I have a bad memory. A lot, of, a lot of head knocks, okay? A lot of head knocks. Well, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I was talking about that last night. That's why I brought it up. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have. <laughs> um, so I finally, yeah, had a bit of – made a bit of a connection with Yamaha Europe and Fox Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did get a bit of support over there and I went through a shop in France and, and got like a good deal on a bike so that when I sold it, I didn't I didn't lose money. So, yeah, over in Europe. But I did get a personal loan to buy it. So wow. the, in, like, the interest cost me a bit. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worker at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I had a relationship with Europe, um, Fox and Yamaha by the end, but it was a bit of a slog to yep. get there. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a... You, I just thought it was, you know, like I think this is the thing too, outside. When you're outside it, you look at it and think, oh, yeah, you're, you're on your magic carpet ride driver and racing in the world thing and this. Man, there's so much struggle in it, hey? Yeah, um, and it's like I'm glad you brought that up because the biggest thorn in my side, and John's always like, just let it go, Gemma, yep. is like people going, oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> and, it, and it was always like that when I raced and it was from the boys that I raced juniors with. Really? And they would be like, oh, you're so lucky. Your dad does everything for you. And it's like, mate, you had the same opportunities, but you chose to get a job. You chose to buy a house. You chose to buy a car. Yep. You chose to have money in your bank. Mm-hmm. Up until I was 30, I'd have $2 in my bank at a time. Like, yep. And then all of a sudden I'd get two grand and then I'd make that last to do what I need to do. And then I'd be back down to 20 cents. Yep. And then I'd, I'd get a bit more money. And that's how, I, that's how I've always lived. And that was, I was happy because I got to do what I wanted to do. But that yep. was the sacrifice I was willing to make. And they weren't. So they're not allowed to say, like, you're lucky. And now with what I'm doing, like, and I don't, I don't disagree that I'm lucky because I, I'm thankful every day that I get to make money the way I make money now. It's my yep. job. But it's still a job. Like yeah, I, for sure. You know, and, and again, anyone has the opportunity that, that I have had. It's just, well, like, you know, I just keep pushing and working and making connections. And this, and this is something I got from dad, but take every opportunity, mm. you know, and that's how I've always lived my life. Just take every opportunity. Um, you know, I get mad FOMO, burn the candles at both ends because I don't want to miss out on anything. No. <laughs> um, and another motto of mine has always been the more you do now, the less you have to do later. Yep. And that's one that I definitely tell the kids at school. <laughs> Come on guys. 
get this work done and then we can go play. Can't be the yep. other way. That's a reward, isn't it? Yeah, you exactly. Um, instead of then trying to have fun time thinking, oh, my God, I've got work to do, oh, my God, I've got work to do. Yep. Um, but now I think that I'm in a position because I, I'm so busy all the time that I've, I've actually consciously had to say, why do today what I can put off till tomorrow? Because the, the work never ends. Mm. And so I'd, I'm always like, oh, I'll just get that done, I'll just get that done. I'll just get that done and then you just never, ever, ever stop. Yep. Um, and that's something that John's like, I think I'm busy. John has taken being busy to like this whole new level. Um, but it's John's turn. Yep. Like I had my years of him supporting me. Now like we've made a deal. It's my turn to like support him and what he's up to. Um, so he's allowed to be this busy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am still a little bit like you do have to have a day off every now and then yep. though. Um, and that's something that we're trying to yeah, do together because – it's not always. <laughs> the more you do now, the less you have to do later because there's always more work there's to always do. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's that's something that like I, I'm conscious about as well as as a, as a business owner. I look at it and I, it doesn't stop. Whether it be social media, whether you you're always on. Hey, it's very hard to very hard to turn that off. Yeah, and you can always do more. You can always do. You more. know, and yep. like you'd have people asking you to do stuff all the time, and it's yep. it's so easy to say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and you want to say yes. You <laughs> yeah. know, like that's the thing. Don't want to miss out. You don't want to miss out. And, and every opportunity, not every opportunity, but most opportunities lead to something else too. Mm-hmm. You turn that one off, you don't know what else you're missing out on. And I'm sure you've seen that across the layers as well with people that yeah. just miss out on things because they've said no to something. 100%. And it's things now like as a, you know, 32-year-old that when I was 22, I went and did something for free and yep. I learned something and I met somebody and now it's come around full circle and yep. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I did that 10 years ago. Mm. And, yeah. And, and it's such a reward for uh, – a rewarding thing to say to somebody too, like the free – doing something for free. Like it's something you've got to do. There's so many people it's just like, oh, you've got to charge everything. Especially both our lines of what we do for work, sometimes you just got to do it. This is it. And at some point it will turn around. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not – you don't do it because of that, but sometimes it's just the way it works, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I definitely as a coach, um, in the beginning, I you know, I went and tagged along with as many people as I could and, and helped out for free. Yep. And, like, to be fair, in the beginning I wouldn't have been worth money. That's you the know? other thing. I went yeah. and, and I learned and I hey, learned what to do yep. and I learned what not to do and I learned how to manage groups of riders. Like, I think that's the hardest thing about coaching. Like, mm. a one-on-one, it's, it's one person. But if you've got a group of 10 riders managing yep. kids on motorcycles. <laughs> oh, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a whole, like, skill in itself. Yep. And so that's, yeah, definitely something that, you know, going and doing freebies, I, I learned. And then, and now I'm at a point where, you know, you can't do something for nothing because, you know, you'll always be doing something for nothing. You lose the value in yourself. Yeah. Mm. But at the same time, I never want to be greedy. And so, yeah, you do do those little, you know, the mates rates and the sneaky deals, but you like don't tell anyone yep. because, you know, where does the precedent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you said, that precedent, where does it end? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, and, I, and I have worked really, really hard and I've done, I feel like I've done my, my share of, of freebies, but there will always be more freebies. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and like, the, you know, Gemma Wilson's now like an expert motorcycle racer, rider, trainer, public speaker. Like there's a whole lot of different things in the bow that, you know, your work isn't just one sort of field. It's very hard to do that and, you know, what do I charge for this? How do I charge that and stuff like that? I guess that's that's a hard thing too, you know? Yeah, and like, and I have no idea what other coaches charge, like for a one-on-one. Yep. But I personally know that I'm happy to go to school and as a teacher, as a relief teacher, which there's, we're a dime a dozen. Right. Like I have no special skills. I did a nine-month course mm-hmm. to be a relief teacher. Um, 
and I go and I get paid X amount of dollars, I'm happy to get paid that for a day's work. So that's what I charge for my coaching. That's my value. Yep. Yeah, and I and people are like, well, you could charge more because you're always booked. And it's like, yeah, but I don't want to be greedy. I want it to be affordable. Yeah. I want I want families to be able to afford to come and do a day's writing with me together and, and learn so much and have this great experience. Like why would I, why would I charge more if that's what I'm happy earning? I totally understand it and that's, yeah, it's it's a thing I appreciate because it, it's, yeah, um, you cap, everyone capitalises on something and if you know your value, that's my value and that's how I set my value. You yeah. Know? And, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, and I, and I really enjoy the way that I, I work and I have, like you said, I do so many different little things yeah. and then it, it's, a change is as good as a holiday. For sure. So people are often like, oh, my gosh, like, and then you go, go to school as well and I'm like, yeah, but when I go to school, it's a day off from my business. Yeah. Like I'm forced to not be on my computer. I'm forced to interact with cool young people and, and talk to teachers and get outside of my little blinkered, you yeah, know, moto, office, moto, office moto sort of world yeah, and, yeah, yeah working by myself, for myself. Um, so it's actually, it's a really, I think it's a really healthy thing for me to get out and go to school. 2005 to 2021, how's the moto world changed? <laughs> um, I think it's changed a lot and it stayed the same a lot. Okay. Um, obviously from the female perspective, it's changed a lot. Um, Amazing amount. It's, yep. it, you know, it used to be there was that tiny little handful of us women and now so many girls are like, and so many women, like 50-year-old women are like, I want to come and learn how to ride a motorbike. I'm yep. like, okay, come and do it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so much less of a, oh, my God, that's a female, you know. It's, oh, there's a person riding a motorcycle, which is awesome and I think that's the goal, you know, to not do the double take when you see a chick cruise past you mm. on the highway on a motorbike oh, look, there's a person riding a motorbike yep. and that, that's the goal for me. Um, but then the industry itself as a whole, we have a – we can be a little bit of a, like a stagnant industry Okay. <laughs> where I think, you know, the same people are in the same roles and they expect things to stay the same but the whole world's changing right. and the motorcycle industry needs to keep up a little bit. But then in saying that, we also have some amazing companies and brands who – you know, and brand like companies are just lots of people. That's all a company is. Yeah. It? So yeah. it's it's so some of some companies have some really wonderful people who get that the world's changing and the motorcycle industry needs to keep up, and they are doing amazing things to make that happen. And when I say that, I think like Transmoto, I think Husky, yeah, um, I think MX Store, and they are 2005. Husky wasn't Husky. It was no way. completely different. Yep. <laughs> MX Store didn't exist. No. I think they have like a, a 10 years-ish, under 10 years probably for MX Store. And Transmodo was, if it existed at all, it was a magazine. It wasn't in its shape <laughs> today. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So that, and, and that's, I think, why they are at the forefront because they uh, haven't been around for as long so they're happy to change kind of thing yep. and, and, and fit in with the current like yeah current situation and and I think what the current thing is it's lifestyle motorcycling is a lifestyle mm. and there are three companies that come to mind of like it doesn't matter who you are what bike you have come and join in on motorcycling Dust Hustle yeah oh, and Dust Hustle exactly like you know Dust Hustle definitely wasn't around 2005 no. like what Hewen has done with this completely just outside of anything Australia's ever done concept yep. and what he's turned it into and the people that mm. congregate and, and be at the same track doing the same thing, having the same fun time, but they are completely from polar opposite sides of it's <laughs> motorcycling. Exactly, it's like a modular <laughs> thing. Like it's just 
everywhere, you know, to, to, to culminate into one event. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and it is. So, yeah, that, like that's definitely for different like companies and, and it's the people running those companies like, you know, D- Dust Hustle's Ella Speed but Dust Hustle's Human's Baby. Like it's, yeah. it's so, 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 so cool and I love that side of motorcycling and I love what I do now because when I raced, I lived in the race bubble mm. and I didn't know that there was anything outside of racing. And then when I when I quit, I'd, I'd had been running the Fox Women's Off Road Campouts for a bit, and I put more effort and time into them. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's this total opportunity for maybe like a ride day. So then I started running the Fox Women's Ride Day, and I would get like I got like 50 people the first year, yep. and then and you know and the the event that I ran was not as polished. <laughs> it was a great experience, but it, it wasn't yep. what it is today. And then the next year it was like 60 people, and then the next year it was. 120 and then this year it was 150 so we had mx farm to ourselves and 150 women from literal first-time riders yep. yeah right. <laughs> to like um taylor mccutcheons who's chuck and whips over the triple yep. and and everything in between and like my little sister bicky five she's five on the electric husky um balance bike cruising around the kids track to like 62 year old women like That's and everything insane. in between and it's it's so 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 cool but even five years ago, I had 50 girls. Like it's, yep. it's changed so much. Oh, and I don't want to embarrass you at all here or I'll talk about it, but you know like the OBAs and the OAMs and that? I said this to a conversation with someone a while ago that what you've done for women in motorcycling in Australia and as a competitor, you deserve one of those. Thanks. Just, yeah. <laughs> like honestly, like, for, for, like I've seen your events from day one and I've seen your event that we just filmed in June with two, will we have 230? 230, yeah. 230 people from day one to that. You've bought, it's not single-handedly, but pretty close <laughs> to those people into the sport. And that's insane to, to, to grow a sport like that and obviously give back to the sport. It's something that should be commended. So, um, yeah, so didn't want to bring that up. But <laughs> I did say it to someone because I honestly generally believe it. I think you, you've, you've done that yourself. Thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> no, and I and I, I genuinely enjoy what I'm doing, and I love it, and yep. I think that comes across, and like, and I think that's why they are successful. And it, the hardest thing about running motorcycle events for women is getting them through the front gate. Once they're there, they're like, "Oh, this is amazing!" But yeah. getting them there, oh, it's not for me. I'm too slow. I'm not good enough yet. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm embarrassed. I've never ridden in public. I've heard that one a few times wow. before. <laughs> um, and it's starting to catch on though. Like that ball's rolling where enough girls have done it to tell other girls that it's not like that at all. And, mm. and yeah, like I've, you know, been on the five-time ISD World Championship winning team, but you meet me, I'm, I don't come across as a professional. No. Like I'm, I'm very approachable and, you know, and I can teach to all levels. I can teach someone who's first-timer and I can teach a young athlete who wants to be a world champion. Um, and I think that's why my stuff has been successful because I'm approachable. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it and helps. I love what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Generally, you generally have a passion for it. If yeah. you didn't have a passion for it, you couldn't couldn't put on that sort of day. Yeah. Well, and when people ask, um, like, how long are you going to do this for? I'm like, the day that I'm not trying to be better is the day I quit because obviously I don't care anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm not if I'm if I'm like my events good as it is. I don't need to add anything. I don't need to make it better. Then it's time to move on. There's always something. Yeah, because there there's is. always something. I can make a better customer experience. As, as a rider, like uh, you're, you're riding a, f- a fair bit and, and coaching, 
Do you think your technique's better now than what you were when you were racing? Yes. Really? <laughs> so much. And so when I go trail riding with the boys, so like we'll do Tuesday rides with yep. the boys from a village bar school and young Henry's and like it's a, it's a good career. And my husband, so yep. like John has never been a rider, but now that I do dust hustles and made friends with all these amazing people from dust hustles, um, it's fun to go riding. It's not a job for John anymore. It's actually <laughs> enjoyable. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I'll be riding along and I'll be like using my body to like find traction and and like thinking about motorcycling in a way that I, when I was racing, I was like, yep. yeah. And obviously there was more skill than that, but. but your yeah. mind's so full, isn't it? Yeah. From coaching and coaching so consistently and going through those techniques so much and, you know, and getting asked questions. Mm. So like I coach at least a couple of days a week and every now and then someone will be like, okay, so like, what are you doing with your, you know, your weight in this situation? And I'm like, give me a second, like, let me try it. I'll tell you, I'm not sure. But then I've had to think about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, in that scenario, I'm doing this with my weight. So then when I find myself in that scenario out in the bush on a Tuesday ride, I don't have to wing it. I know exactly what I should be doing, which I think when I raced, I was busy trying to go fast. Yeah, that makes sense. So your techniques, so, because I I thought that might be the case because you've slowed things down to push things forward, I guess. Yeah. And so a little part of me is like, oh, geez, I wouldn't mind going and like lining up again and just seeing. But then I think about it and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Drive back to Dungog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't have that intensity now either. Yeah. Yeah. So say. I think like, you know, my technique's better, but I, I haven't been, yeah, training for that intensity. So I don't think I would be better yep. in the long run, but my technique is better. So, you, yeah, you your observation, everything that you do around it would yep. be better. Yeah. Relationships, like your relationships with brands are always very long-term. How have you managed that? Um, and again, this is like it was a real organic thing and somewhere along the line I realised that all of my sponsors had become friends. Yeah, okay. And that is and that is how I, how I do things. And it's not, it's not a conscious thing, but like I'm working with someone – we both want the same thing. That's why I'm working with them. We're yeah. both trying to promote what we do, our industry, you know, their industry, my industry. It's the same thing. Yep. Yeah. And so, and I think for a long time, like I was working with a couple of people where it was pushing shit uphill and I was like, why is it like this? Mm. Like we are literally trying to achieve the same thing. And there's all these opportunities for you to promote me, which will in turn promote you and you're not taking them. Um, and now, especially now, you know, like working with Husfana, they are so onto it. Like it's so easy to work with them. We're so working for the same goal. You know, I trust them. They trust me. I don't ask for anything I don't need. Yep. You know, it's, it's such a brilliant relationship. And I honestly wish that I had have been with Husky like for a year or two racing because the bikes, I feel that they, I can do things on the Huskies that I wouldn't have tried on the Yamaha. But in saying that, Husky support me so well as this lifestyle brand, yep. you know, and, and someone who promotes the lifestyle of riding motorcycles. But Yamaha supported me as a racer and no and no one else was going to support me the way Yamaha did as a racer. So it fitted the time. It fitted the time. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so I'm so thankful to Yamaha um, because they allowed me to do all the cool shit that I did racing. But I'm so, so, so thankful to Husky now and the amazing relationship that we have. And it helps that Rosie Lalonde... Yep. Um, we raced together. We raced a few four days together, AORCs together. Like she's been at six days that I've raced. Like she was in Finland 
running around through the mud giving us camelbacks and <laughs> just part of it hey? yeah yep. part of it um, and she understands the industry so well and she is the hardest body worker yep. and she loves what she does and the passion that she has for it comes across in what she does um, so yeah we're a great team so that makes working with Husky like just a beautiful experience it's a no brainer like yeah you, you put you, like the two of you got the two together it's just it just <laughs> makes sense doesn't it like you go to the event and you see it like when Rosie's there and yourself are there working alongside each other. Yeah. And Rosie's not working at that time, but it's still a she's got a, Yeah, she's got a husky There's hat a husky on. husky hat on. Yeah. <laughs> you see it and like, it just, it just works and you can see why the events work so well. Yeah. And, um, and before Rosie, it was Alana. Yep. And, I, and I didn't know Alana before I started working with, with Husky. Right. Um, and we spent some time together in New Zealand. I went over and coached at the Queens of Dirt so they yes. had 150 chicks at this coaching trial ride event and um, I went over and coached. It was just a one-day thing near Tal- like at Talpo. It was really, mm-hmm. really cool. And I stayed in the house with Rosie, um, one of the chicks over there that was like running the event and Alana. So yep. I met Alana for the first time. And if anyone knows Alana, she's not really a morning person. Really? <laughs> no. And I'm a bit chipper. Right. <laughs> so Uh-oh. <laughs> barge into her and Ru- Rosie's room. Hello, world. Yep. She's like... You're a chipper, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, we got on super well as well. And now we work together on the Motorcycling Australia Women in Motorcycling Committee. Yep. Um, and that's been really cool to go from working with her as, like, partner in a brand mm. to working with her in a volunteer, um, yep. in, like, a volunteer position, um, which has been um, really awesome and great to continue that relationship because it would have been a shame if she went to Ducati and I never had anything to do Just with her ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. AWIM. That's yes. what it is. How, how, how did that come about? How, how tied in to, to that are you? Um, can you tell me about it a bit? Um, yeah, so years and years ago, the Motorcycling Australia had a women's committee. So mm-hmm. they've got like a trial subcommittee, a you know, enduro subcommittee, a road race subcommittee, and it's people in that, that discipline uh, helping make decisions and helping guide Motorcycling Australia in what should and shouldn't happen in their sport because yep. obviously they're the experts in their discipline. And so years ago, we had a women's committee and somewhere along the line, it was decided that it wasn't needed. Women didn't need their own committee. There was no need for women to push women in motorcycling. <laughs> and so whatever reason, that shut down. And then probably about um, at least maybe beginning of 2019, um, we started up or Motorcycling Australia started up another women's committee. And it was myself... Um, a chick from WA, like a couple of chicks from Victoria and then like someone would leave, someone else would come in, someone else would leave, someone else would come in and it was a very changeable group which was yep. a bit of a shame because we'd just find a little bit of traction and then someone would leave because it's a volunteer position so, you know, and we weren't getting to meet in person. It yep. was, you know, all via Zoom but we did actually meet once down in um, Sydney. We did a, a Women Leaders in Sport conference right. and that was amazing it was with um football australia all those women from football australia and the facilitator is such an amazing woman and that was really really cool and that was a cool experience for me um but we lost all of those women in the committee right. after that except for me um and but now we're lucky enough to have had myself alana is our new head um our new chair and she's fantastic because yep. she gets shit done for sure so alana's chair and then there's myself kate peck yep. who you know is everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, has a little fingers in so many different motorcycle pies. And she's such a, you know, enthusiastic person and she comes across 
you know, she's great at delivering what she wants to deliver. And she rides. And she rides. She's part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then Caitlin Hines, who worked at Motorcycling Australia for a while and she's in branding and marketing and if you've watched any of the AORC recaps, mm-hmm. um, it would be her on the microphone because um, even though she left Motorcycling Australia, she was still contracted to go and help with the media at the AORC. Events, yep. Um, and... Ricky Dryden, who works at Motorcycling Australia. So that's great to have someone in the office because awesome. when things get a little bit tough volunteer position, she can use some of Motorcycling Australia's time to, you know, and resources to yep. make to make shit happen, which is ve- we very much need that person in Motorcycling Australia. Plus it gives you that into the – that's our governing body still. Yeah. You know, it gives you that, that uh, direct channel, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. So that's – it. so since we've had us five, we have achieved a lot – and we've got a lot done considering that most of it's been in lockdown and we've only – we've never met in person, all five of us. And Really? Yeah. And so for so many months, because I'm the only one in Queensland, two girls in Sydney, two girls in Melbourne, we'd do our monthly Zoom catch-ups and they'd be like, it's like Groundhog Day. They've sat in I the I hate this sport. so much. And I'm like, I've been here. I've done this. Yeah, I've, been I've done five that. Days this week. Yeah, I'm actually. I just go on to dinner now because like pubs are open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to rub it in, but like that's how just, life is. Just talking about my life rubbed it in. Yeah. Um. So we definitely this year. I feel we lost a little bit of fire. Mm-hmm. Um. Because it was so disheartening for the four down there. Um. But in saying that, we still achieved so much that we won FIM's like women in sport, women in motorcycling's award for the country that has done the most in 2021, which was pretty awesome. So we got, yeah, we got recognised at Monaco at the FIM Black World Championships Awards. Yeah, Yeah. which is is awesome. And a few of those initiatives, yeah, like we, we slogged it out and we, yeah, we, we spent, we spent a lot of volunteer hours doing some, some things, um, which I'm really proud of. And I know the other girls are as well. So it was cool to be recognised. How, how, like, what do you do part of it? I know I've seen you've done all the interviews with different riders and different parts of people within the industry. Obviously, Alana, Emma McFerrin last week. What, 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 what does the committee do? Um, so I guess our main goal is yep. to promote women in the sport because for the last decade, as women in motorcycling have grown and we have some amazing athletes, but women just don't get the recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of being... Like, and I've just been arguing with the Australian Off-Road Championships and Motorcycling Australia for years um, about why do you not have the fastest, like, you know, the girl who won the championship on the poster? You have the guy who won E1, E2, E3, EJ. Why not EW? Like, and and when I was a racer, I felt a little bit weird about it because I was, like, promoting myself because, you know, some of the years I won. But since quitting, I'm like, well, I'm clearly not trying to self-promote anymore. I'm trying to promote women, so I've, I've been more vocal and they're like, we just don't have the budget. Well, find it. And how hard is it? <laughs> you know, you do, you, you do a recap video and there is not a second of a female riding a motorcycle. How are you going to get more women into motorcycling if there's not even a second yeah. of a female? You don't even know they're there. <laughs> they don't even know they're the there. Video. Yep. Yeah, so like girls are going to be watching it and be like, that'd be cool, but obviously women don't do it. Like it's so easy to achieve something if you can see it being achieved. Yep. Um, and you've argued that point. Oh, hey. so much, yep. so much. And they're like, well, help me find the budget. Like it's not my job, but I will. <laughs> yeah, and and you're there. <laughs> yeah, you're already there. Like you're filming. You know? Yeah. Um. Or they're like, well, you know, we contract to so and so. 
Yeah, but you're paying the bills, so you make like you make them deliver what you want, yeah. and it includes women. Yeah, there's a brief. I've seen it. I've seen the Gemma Wilson brief. There's yeah. a brief. <laughs> there's a brief. But there is. That's how it should be. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so that's definitely something that I'm super passionate about, which yep. is why um I'm lucky enough to be doing the interviews. Obviously, like Kate has a lot more interview experience. Um. But it's something that I was like, I'm very passionate about and it's a great learning opportunity for me interviewing people. Like yep. I've been interviewed a lot. Um, yeah. I've got the opportunity to interview. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at that, which is cool. Another skill to have. Um, and I get to talk to some awesome women and not just races. Mm. So, you know, we've interviewed a couple of races, but predominantly it's been, you know, like adventure riders and, you know, people involved in committees or people that volunteer and women, I should say, that volunteer and like, you know, this chick who rode solo across the Simpson Desert in nine hours, like, and just because she, she wanted to, like, okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, you go do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and sometimes I do feel like, oh, God, it's this other job that I have to do. Why did I put my hand up for this? And then as soon as I start, you know, because it's like the organising and liaising to try and make a time where we're both available yep. and stuff can be a bit difficult sometimes. But once I start talking to these girls, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is my job. How good is this? Well, this is my volunteer position. How good is this? <laughs> and it, I'm very lucky to do it. It really is. And you're doing a great job. Thank you. I've watched a few. You're doing a good job. Like it's uh, it's hard to interview someone when it's not your thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, and there's that stunned mullet moment. And like you, whenever I stop talking, you're ready with your next one. I'm like, he's good at this. I need to be like oh, thank this. You. I don't feel good at it. <laughs> I tell you, because like um, we've known each other long enough. It's like. I, I don't do this. Like, I, I'm not used to this camera stuff. Like now 50, 58 episodes in, it feels a bit more relaxed. But at the start, I'm like, yeah, Stun Mullet describes it pretty damn good because you're like a deer in headlights. Like uh, uh, I was lucky at the start because I had like Hewan and that pretty close to the start mm-hmm. and it's just talking with friends and it just makes it easier from from day one. Yeah, and you already have that background, background knowledge, so For like sure. questions to fall back on. Yeah, yeah, that helps. Yeah. Um, so but outside of the interviews um, <clears throat> and the like promoting women in the yep. sport, we have also done up a heap of different documents and guidelines to try and help from like an administrative point of view to get more women involved. Yep. So unfortunately, well, well, yeah, unfortunately some clubs and, and you know, like promoters – are like, well, we, we put a women's class in and we got four entries, so we're not going to bother with that again. Mm. And it's just that, yeah, but did you did you give time, like the women time to realise that they had a class? Did you promote that there was a women's class? Did you invite the women? Like, yep. And you just got to put in that little bit of extra effort. And definitely like in at my events in the beginning, you know, I had to drag the women. <laughs> Was it like that? Yeah. yeah, and I had to like make them feel so welcome and, and answer some questions that, you know, I just thought were, were common knowledge, but they're not. They're not common knowledge. They're common yeah. knowledge for me because I've been to motorcycle events for years. But if you've never been to something, you know, and I felt a bit patronising, but it, it wasn't patronising. It was just giving all the information that was required. And so we've done up some guidelines for clubs and promoters to kind of understand what they need to do to get more women involved and, yeah, and to kind of set some parameters for how things have worked. And, and we've we've done some... Um, like some case studies yep. of clubs and promoters who have done a really good job and how that worked and, you know, some wise words from those people and, and things. Um, we also did a mentorship guideline right. um, to try and get, yeah, more women who are interested to, to learn stuff from women but also like good dudes in the industry. Right. So it's not just a women's thing, that one. The, the mentorship program is designed to, you know, anyone who knows stuff to pass on what they know to younger people or interested yep. people. Um, and we also did a um, dress code guideline. So like F1 and um, 
whatever else. Something supercars don't have grid girls anymore. Yeah, it's been taken. Uh, I know F1, definitely. And yeah. Super, yeah, I think yeah. A few others too. But. And so, like, you know, ASBK is still, like, grid girls. And so, yeah, we decided that we'd, we'd put up some guidelines. And, and this one was one that I wasn't super involved with and it wasn't because I wasn't for or against it. It was just was something I hadn't even thought about. Mm. I was just like grid girls are just grid girls. Like we have the them, sport. we just have them. And I hadn't really even thought about it. Um, but Kate and Ricky and Alana are like, yeah, made that one happen and they did a pretty good, like they did a really good job with it. And I thought it was going to be like a suggestion, but it's an actual guideline. So no more grid girls. So they're like deleted or dress code? Uh, so dress code, dress yeah. Code. So you yep. can, yeah, you can have, and I, I think, and, it, and it, in a way, it does take away from the sport. So you've, especially if you've got women. So I was like, oh yeah, I never really thought about it. But at the World Enduro GPs, you'd have the grid girls at the start line every morning, mm-hmm. and you know, fantastic looking women, and we roll up on our dirt bikes, fully kitted up, pump bags, camelbacks, you know, all the yep. gear, and they're just like, hi, we're like, oh, good morning, how are you? Like, and it kind of takes away from us being women in the sport because they're actually getting more media attention and focus than what we are and we're out there doing it. Um, So that was an interesting one, like, I think for me because I hadn't even thought about it and then I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, why is it it needed? Why is it necessary to have boobs and butts? At the sport. Yeah, because let's not focus on the boobs and butts. Let's focus on the guy or girl on the line that's about to go race the race. Yep. So, yeah, that was was an interesting one and um, and – think we did there was a couple other ones as well um but they were the three like big ones main ones that we spent a lot of time on it's huge eh? yeah like it's a big program to try and you know it's a big ship to turn yes. the ship's been going <laughs> the wrong way one way for a long time so there's there's a lot obviously that happens in behind the scenes so you've got a good team yeah it, it is a really a good, good team. team yeah and, and it's cool because you know like kate's just had a baby um you know, like everyone gets busy and I'll have a big event on and just be like, look, I'm kind of out for this month. I, you know, I don't have time, but there's always people picking up slack and helping one another out. And, and we make a really good team. It's been a nice experience. And I'm not used to working with anybody else. Hey, how's that go? Yeah. And usually I go, I want to put an event on. I want it to be this date. I want it to be this many people. I'm setting up the entries and it's happening. I yep. don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just done. You've got your, um, your supporters, yeah. you know, it's, that's how it's going to be. Yeah, you know, I make so. a phone call or two and I'm good to go. But, yep. you know, it's just letting them know what my plan is. It's not – I don't have to liaise with anyone about anything. So I think that's been a really steep learning curve for me, being like, oh, I have to run this by people and I have to get input and yeah, we need to have weird. a vote. And <laughs> that'd be weird, yeah. I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of that too much until you're actually in that position, you know. Yeah. It's a hard one. And it, it definitely makes the process, like, longer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But also sometimes I'm like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that that way. When it's just me, yep. and at least I get the opportunity to talk it through with somebody, and you get a checkpoint, don't you? Yeah, and because I can often be like, "Yep, yeah, I'm going to make that happen," and then a day later it's on, and I'm like, "Oh, I should have spent a little bit more time on that." <laughs> That's yeah, and hearing you, <laughs> that happens. Sorry to people that are probably listening to that probably thought that we'd be just talking Gemma Wilson racing as well. Because um, I was really interested in the Gemma Wilson business and and things like that art as well. So. Um, that's all right with you, talking more about after race stuff as well, yeah? Yeah, I think like, racing feels like a lifetime ago yeah. already. Like it's this thing that happened. You know, it's a huge part of your life, but I'm, I'm just so intrigued of how Gemma Wilson's a marketer. Like you're a business owner and marketer, a public speaker. How, how did you market yourself? Um, it's been trial and error. Really? Yeah, like um, I wish that I knew more and I 
like over Christmas, it seems to be the time that I, you know, download some audiobooks and take yeah. some notes and, and try to think about what I'm going to do better for the next year because it seems to be the one aspect of what I do that I'm always reactive, mm -hmm. not proactive with it. And every year I, I promise myself that it's going to be better and every year it does get better but still not good enough. Right. Um, it, so and, it, and it, I have a weird relationship with it too. Like I enjoy it. But it's also all this time taken up that's with something that I'm not passionate about. But if you don't market it, what I do, then I have got nothing to be passionate about. Yep. Yeah. So, um, like, my little brother is the most alternative little fella. He's got a mustache that he twirls and really? no shoe wearing, vegan, couple degrees, you know, afro. He lives in Tassie at the moment. He got in his car last Christmas and drove down to Tassie and him and his girlfriend lived in a car for two months before they got wow. an apartment. <laughs> That's cool. And so he's got an architectural degree. He was living in a van in the car park in San Francisco University when COVID happened, studying environmental oh, science. Um, but he obviously got on a plane and come home when COVID happened yep. um, and kind of floated around for a little bit and then made his way down to Tassie. Now he's studying down there. And for one of his electives, um, he, was, he was like, oh, these are my choices. What should I do? And one of the choices was marketing. And he's a very, like, anti-consumerism, you know, like, yeah. yeah, super alternative kid and, well, young man, he's 25. Um, and I was like, even if you are so passionate about not marketing, you can't tell people about it if you don't know how to market. You need to market being anti-marketing. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, so, like, <laughs> you don't have to do it, obviously. Like, it's your choice, but I would choose marketing. Yeah. And I don't think he did. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, and so for me, I'm aware that it's a hole in, in what I do and I'm, I'm slowly getting better at it and, like, technology and me, I often want to throw my computer out the window. Like, oh, everything works until it doesn't with Correct. technology, isn't it? Um, yeah. But I'm really I'm really happy with this new relationship that I've got with Smith Studio and Gimpy. Um, he's, a, he's a cool fella and he's given me some great ideas. I've got like a secret little plan for something that awesome. I don't want to tell anyone about until it happens. Um, and I'm just trying to think outside the box because, again, like like I said, motorcycling industry can be quite stale and I don't just want to do the same things. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I first started the coaching, I ran like open coaching, Gemma Wilson open coaching, and it was just your standard motocross off-road coaching event. And I realised like why am I slogging my guts out to convince people that as a female I can coach dudes as well and juniors as well and do yep. the standard coaching when I've got this special little niche that's amazing and I don't – like I'm sick of slogging it out, telling people I'm worth it because that's what I had to do for 10 years as a racer. Yeah. Why don't I just create opportunities for people that want them <laughs> instead of convincing them to yep. come? Um, and it's a saturated market. Like everybody already does open coaching. Like every coach in Queensland, southeast Queensland, like there are so many coaches. And it's grown by the day. Yeah, and yep. they all do a brilliant job and they all, you know, coach slightly differently so – different riders are going to like different coaches and I think that's a brilliant thing. The more coaches there are, the more coaching that will happen and everyone will be a better rider. Mm. Um, but I don't just want to do the same thing. So I'm yeah, always thinking like how can I do – how can I – and also how can I promote motorcycling to mainstream? Yeah. Because we live in this bubble and there's only so much money and resources. And, yeah. if, and if I can help bring people from outside the sport into it, and show how cool motorcycling is and how it's not just for hooligans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> motorcycling yeah. is for everybody. Yeah, it's working class folk, you yeah. know, and, and everything in between. Yeah, you know? and, you know, and families and kids and Absolutely. old people and every, every everyone, everyone can enjoy motorcycling in some way, um, then it's just going to grow the industry. 
Yeah. You know, and I years ago I was down at Unifilter um, head office, like down down talking to Miles, and on his wall he's got posters of Stephen Gore posing with Playboys, like Playboy bunnies. Really? Like, and because that's you know it used to be so much bigger, and there used to be all this outside of the industry money in motorcycling, yeah. and that era of riders like made good money from it. Yeah. And it's just that doesn't exist anymore. And I think like the GFC changed everything back in like 2008, which was right as I was heading in to it. Great timing. Yeah. So I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see the world of motorcycling before that. So I don't know any different. Yep. Um, we, you know, I've, I've grown up when we've been very short resourced. Um, and that's why I was 30 and didn't have a cent to my name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got prize money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, trophy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> some tacky ones too. <laughs> no, some nice ones as well. They got uh, good dust on them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah, great dust collectors. <laughs> um, so many of them, I've just peeled the plaques off and got them just in a plastic bag <laughs> and threw the trophies out. <laughs> but they're like, you know, like the world championship ones and like the, you know, yeah, Australian the championships. Like yep. I've, I've got them. And my first ever world championship trophy, it was in St. Hubert in um, Belgium. It's the hunting capital of Belgium. And it's a giant hog. My first ever (laughs) world championship trophy was a hog. Does your brother be happy? (laughs) (laughs) What do you do with that? Dust collector. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, Wow. So, yeah. So I think that's something that I'm really trying. And that's the public speaking side of things. You know, public speaking allows me to go into, you know, like... Like the Queensland Outdoor Recreation Awards a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. I did a talk for them and it was you know, like a Queensland government, like, branch kind of thing. And um, we had different people from all different outdoor recreation things and educational and, and that was really cool to stand up and tell them about motorcycling in my story and, yep. and women in the sport and, and just promoting getting outdoors. It was a great fit without Perfect. being motorcycling. Yep. And then, um, you know, International Women's Week is kind of my public speaking week of the year. Um, and there's, time to shine. Yeah, <laughs> and so the different councils and, you know, going into a, you know, a big like convention centre and talking to a couple hundred school age through to, you know, Devonshire tea aged women <laughs> <laughs> and, and getting to tell them again about my story and, and what I've done as a female and, you know, and, it, and I, I do... I do hate this in a way and I don't like to promote like oh, I'm a female in a male industry, uh, sorry, a male dominated sport because I don't want that to be the focus right. because we're all people riding motorcycles. Yep. But in that kind of environment, like that's what it is. Mm. Yeah, you know, I was the only girl on so many training camps and, you know, you go to the six days and you're you're one of 25 women against 600 dudes. Like it's... it's it's a big scale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the public speaking thing is is something that is awesome. I love talking. Imagine if I could sing. I always think that I would just love to get up on stage and sing to people and I have a shit voice, so I have to talk. Plenty of bad singers <laughs> out there. I'm sure you do a good job. <laughs> um, and I'm the expert on myself, so it's a pretty easy thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that definitely helps, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. What's that, that CRF 230 girl, mm-hmm. which you've pictured where you're at now doing this? No, and especially because there, like, there was no international, you know, women's team yeah, for the international no, six no enduro. There was no women's class in the world enduro GPs. Two thousand and six was the first year that there was an Ash- women's class in the Australian four day enduro, and I was on that. Like, I was in that event. First one. Yeah, and I think you know, like the AORCs. I don't know. Like, they only started. Oh, like early 2000s? Yeah, threes. Yeah, and 2005 was my – I turned 16 and, and, and raced there. So I kind of was in at the beginning and that's why, 
you know, I'm so to Motorcycling Australia about not having women in the wrap-up videos because I was that girl completely not being able to see any female doing it. And I think, like, Alison Parker was the only girl that, like, raced when I was a junior and she and she raced clubmen. Um, and then from there, like, it's grown so much, but I had one woman to look at, you know, and she was st- – I remember standing at the four-day once looking at the, you know, final times and she was like, oh, if I can get into the first half of the clubman, I'm happy. And that was the level of female rider back then. Yep. And now, you know, you've got the girls that could win expert. Yeah. I compa- you know, I got, I got ninth at an Australian four-day enduro prologue against everybody. Yeah, that's outright. Outright. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was some, you know, crazy circumstances. I love grass track. It was slippery you know, a, a lot of the boys crash, but I didn't and I passed people because I obviously had to start a long way back and it was a, you know, four-minute test and, yeah. you know, and, and I got ninth and it, it it was actually shit on me for the first day because then I was in front of all these dudes that were actually faster than me and I got passed in all these tests and it was actually really bad for my overall time. Yeah. But it was pretty cool to say I got I got ninth in that and then on day three I got like 16th, I think, outright in another grass test. Yep. Um, and so, like, the level of female riders has just, like, from mid-clubman to can do top 10 outright is so huge Bastard. and girls need to see that because then it's just so much easier and like Leia Sands Courtney yep. Duncan Sandra Gomez like there are so many amazing women and like um Golden um Vicky Vicky Golden yeah. you know for the freestyle and the, that crazy side of things like there is there is an idol for every young girl to look at whether it's Dakar whether it's Trials whether it's extreme enduro, motocross, like, road race, yeah, road race, you know, yeah, yep. you can you can see it happening, and then imagine how far girls can take it from there. Yep. It's so it's a very exciting time. No, I really, I, I think so too. And I, I look at it through the events and through the the other sides of the sport. And uh, Avalon Biddle in the in New Zealand, super white champion, uh, super sport champion, things like that. It's like that wouldn't have happened ten years ago, fifteen mm. years ago. Now leading the path of for Kawasaki in New Zealand, it's, like, it's unreal. It's good to see. So, it, it delivers more eyeballs onto onto it in general, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think for so long we've been treated as like, oh, good on you, having a go. Mm. <laughs> and it's not like that. We put in the same effort. It costs us the same to get there. The bikes cost the same. Yeah. And then, you know, receive like ten percent of what the boys get in in like sponsorship support. Um, but they had an event last weekend down in Victoria. Was this the um, motocross one? Yeah, and uh, the girls were saying that it was equal prize money. Oh, was it? Yeah, which... That must be a first. Oh, my gosh, so amazing. <laughs> I think it is, eh? Hey? Like, yeah. Because I, I, I know speaking to you in the past, what, what was the rough difference? So it's all hearsay because obviously I don't know what the boys' Roughly? contracts are, but for example... Um, allegedly. I, I, allegedly, I heard, and, you know, it's not a, it's not a wild guess. Like, I think it's pretty accurate. So for one of the boys who, for what he won for AORC, A4DE, ISDE and test wins at those events, and that's only at races. I don't know what he got like with actual just sign-on deals -deals and stuff because we didn't get sign-on, that's for sure. Um, About 300 grand. And this is like for like, hey. Yep. So event for same event. Apples for apples. Yep. Yep. So 300 grand. I did the exact same shit, won the exact same amount of stuff, 30 grand. It's a big difference. Huge difference. It's a huge difference. <laughs> huge difference. <laughs> Makes your life a lot different, doesn't it? And 30 it? grand is enough to pay for yourself to live, you know, put food on your plate, put fuel in your car. Yep. 
um, and then work your butt off to get the local dentist to pay for a flight to Europe to so race world championships. Doesn't make you a full-time athlete, though. <laughs> no. A, a, as in a, a well, wage. Well, yeah. no, and that's the thing. Like, I, I was. I didn't work. Yeah. I didn't have a job because if I had a job, I wouldn't have been able you to win the things that I won. Yep. So that's that where that sacrifice come in. Like, I was happy to make no money. Like, that's the choice I made. I, I And I would be like, oh, my gosh, I don't have enough money to get to Europe to race world championships because I've had to train too hard to have a job because <laughs> yeah. my job is motorcycling but I don't get paid for it. Yep. So that's why I think growing up in Gympie, it's that small town feel where lots of local businesses got behind me and would pay flights to Europe and pay entries and, and pay for things, which was really cool. And I'm like, I couldn't have done it without Gympie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you'd cop it from the boys being like, oh, why don't you just get a job and earn your own money? Like, well, you get paid. I don't. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Like if you earn $300,000, it's a good head start. Oh, and the amount of effort that I put in every year just to get myself there. Yeah. Like that, when I get on the plane, 27-hour flight ahead of me. It's time to sleep. Oh, I just get to watch a movie and not think about anything. Like I've, I've made it. I've got on the plane. And the hardest part was getting on the plane. <laughs> what was it like putting deals together? Like putting, you know, parcel and, you know, um, a bike. Like like what was it like to, to do that even? Like even now, like to... To ma- manage that, how, how, how do you do that? Just, just relationship? Yeah, and, and just like making it happen. And it was always like you didn't even know that you needed to do something and then all of a sudden you had to do it and you just did it. Yeah, right. And I think that now when I I, – I don't, I don't know how I did it for so long. Yeah. Like I, and now I coach some really cool young riders. So um, James and Jake Shelley are like brothers, local Gimpy boys who race enduro and I, you know, every second Monday – coach them for a couple hours and we do like a lot of the goal setting and working out where they're at yep. and what they want to improve and, and, you know, all that side of things as well. And I love that I get the opportunity to share my knowledge there on a regular basis. Um, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, goal setting? Moving forward, coaching? <laughs> coaching. <laughs> coaching the young team from Gympie? Yeah. Don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> hey, well, what is, uh, you mentioned audiobooks before in the summer. What does Gemma Wilson listen to? Um, what style? What okay. I'm actually listening to uh, Homo Sapien, A Brief History of Humankind at the moment. Wow. And it's, re- it's really interesting. Heavy. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not as heavy as you'd think. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten, so since riding around Northern Territory. Yep. Obviously, Northern Territory is still a little bit more remote than the rest of Australia and the Aboriginal history up there I found like quite interesting and um still you know like Catherine like all like there's still all the communities and so we did get fuel in one of the Aboriginal communities and I was blown away by what I didn't know Mm. I didn't know that Aboriginals still had their own language and that is so sad on my behalf that I didn't know that right so I've given myself a slap on the wrist and I've been reading a lot of Aboriginal history um and just uh, trying to get my head around of like around why Australia is the way we are. Right. And and I've never been into history. Like at school I did not do That's history not subjects. I was like, don't want to learn about the past. <laughs> but knowing what happened in the past, it, it explains what's happening now right. so like so well and like drawing those conclusions has been really interesting. And I did the same thing when I started racing in Europe. I was like, World War Two, World War One. <laughs> didn't know anything about this really. Like, you know, you learn the bare minimum at school. So I did get a lot of books out then and learn about yeah, different things with, with that as well. So I, I, f- I find that whatever I'm listening to or reading at the time, it's... So relates. Yeah, it relates yep. to something like I'm like, oh, geez, there's a hole in my knowledge. Like I need to know a bit more about that. Makes sense. And, and something you touched on right from the start was uh, school. 
mm-hmm. when you're at school, you get a you get a real briefing. If you want to follow it, like that's like history. Yeah. You get that real little brief insight to it. If you're going to follow it, you're going to follow it. If you don't, it just disappears, doesn't it? Yeah. And then um, when I want to switch off, it's a, just a good old murder mystery. Really? But like old English spec. Like, <laughs> like the lords and the ladies. <laughs> just real old school. Just, yeah. oh, it's, it's intriguing. I, I love I love hearing what people are reading or listening to or, or whatever it is because it's, I don't know, it's not like you can read their character but you can see what they're educating themselves by or moving forward by because you can't learn without reading, can you? No. Or, li- or, listening, or listening to reading. Yeah. Listening to reading. Yeah. You know, I think that's the only way you can sort of move forward and learn. Yeah. I think too um, learning stuff like about what people are listening to or reading is – when you meet someone, it's like a really like 2D version. Yeah, it's a surface. Yeah, mm. and, and you like you pigeonhole people, but nobody is just one thing. Oh, jeez, no. Yeah, so. It'd that's be terrible if we were. <laughs> yeah. And that's our, that's our brief, brief encounters, isn't it? Like the general brief encounter that you have with such and such. You're like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, she's hot today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's the weather? <laughs> how's the weather? But uh, when you really get to know someone or anything, that's. That's the cool part of being humans, you know. Yeah. I think so, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, how was Northern Territory? Talking of that, um, so what brought that on too? Okay, so what brought that on was my dad. My dad's sixty, and he is super adventurous and super fit and healthy. And yep. he, like, he's building this house at the moment on his property, <laughs> and it's this little cottage, like old shed from a railway that he got moved there, and he re like stumped it and put these big beams in yep. by himself. The whole thing? Whole thing. Wow. And he just pokes along and he just works from daylight to dark. <laughs> and he just and he's like, we're like, oh, you know, because we've got a couple of employees and John will be like, oh, do you want Zach for a day or two? And Dad's like, no, no, like I'll just have to worry about somebody else. Just worry about myself. Like, And he just gets just it done, away. just gets it done. And he's, he's an amazing person. Actually, this is a bit of a side note, but I went and did the a working bee at the Sunshine Coast Club, Conondale Club, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And so I rock in as like, you know, the only female and the youngest person there, apart from a couple of teenage kids that were yeah. lending a hand. And it's a little bit like, well, what can I help with at a working bee where they're trying to get a pump going and they're, you know, fixing a roof and carting shit around. But because of who my dad is and who my husband is, I could help. I mean, yeah. Yep. And, I, and I could rock up and, you know, and I, I couldn't actually build the shit, but I could go get the tool that they needed and I could help get the you know, pipes out of the water to fix the pump. And yep. and I was like, yeah, I actually went home and thanked Dad and John because without them, like, I would have been shit there. Like, I wouldn't have been helpful. Yep. Yeah, so that, cool. that was really cool. Um, so we, yeah, so Dad's super adventurous. He bought, I don't know, actually, I don't really even know. So he bought a 501 for it, yep. um, all set up and dead keen. And we were going to the Kimberleys. That was the plan. Yeah. So I did, I don't know, I think we're going to ride to Fink to start with. We were thinking we'd ride out across Simpson Desert and go watch Fink, but then I needed the 701s and they were not available then. Yeah. Um, and then it was too close to my trail ride as well, the Husqvarna Women's Trail Ride, so it wasn't going to work out. And then so somehow we were like, let's go to the Kimberleys. And so I got these by – no, I went and did the Husqvarna 701 trek, rode the Husky 701 for the first time. That was the best time also as well. Yeah. Such a good, we such a good week. That. Yeah, such a good week. And you remember it? Uh, <laughs> it was a good week, yeah. eh? A good week. It was. We'll it was, it yep. was a really good week. Um, and so I rode the 701. The one that I rode, John got to buy. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then I got to take the one that Clubby 
road yes. home with me yep. um, and I've still got it now. I have to give it back in February. Um, and so we had these bikes and we were still like, oh, where do we go? And then we decided Kimberley's. So I coach these three girls, um, Heaton's Pipelines, oh, sorry, Heaton's Plant and Pipeline, yep. and they do a lot of stuff in Northern Territory. And so he hooked me up with uh, freight, so bike freight. So we chucked our bikes on a truck and sent them to Darwin. Yep. And it was like a week out and John had never ridden the 701. We had no saddlebags, no camping equipment, nothing. We knew nothing. I, I was like, what do we eat when we're in the wilderness for eight days? <laughs> like, so you had no real grand Nothing. Plan. And we, Dad had, like, highlighted a few roads, potential roads on a map. Like, oh, th- like that was us. So we got on this plane. That's cool. We went up to I, – I went up early because one of my best mates lives up there and I, she'd been up there for eight years and I never visited her. Yeah, right. So I went and spent a few days with Em and then got the bikes on a Friday and then Dad and John rolled in on the Sunday. Yep. We were going to leave first thing Monday morning. Dad's finger's so swollen. It's infected. He has been, like, hallucinating because it's, like, so infected. And he's had like he's gone to hospital the day before and he's on these, like, crazy antibiotics and – he had to change a tie. He ended up with a like flat on the way up, um, yep. sending it up. And he was like, Ooh, and we're like, we cannot ride out of Darwin. Like, this is not yep. good. So we're like, no, Dad, we're going to hang out another night, sort of get a bit more organised, try and find a way to keep your antibiotics cold because they have to stay like below 25 degrees or whatever and it's Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we ended up leaving on the Tuesday morning. Yep. Uh, we pinned it like the 600Ks on the bitumen. Actually, we got... 300 k's down the road to Catherine and we'd thrown knobs on the rear tyres already. Oh, no. <laughs> so we had the yeah. wrong tyre choice, obviously. Yeah. And so we went to the bike shop at Catherine. They had three tyres that were perfect and would fit our 701s and 501. And, and they balanced Dad's bike because his back end was like <laughs> bouncing around the road. So that was good for him as for well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we pinned it across to Timber Creek. We got to Timber Creek and we were like, oh, we need to do a border pass to get across to WA. Mm. Do the board pass, it's like, you've been denied. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> so we, we stayed just like, just out of Timber Creek, just at like a little campsite um, yeah. on the side of the road. And so next morning I did it again because I thought maybe just in my hurry after like 600Ks bitchman in the heat, I'd just press yeah. the wrong button or something. And I was like, no, no, they'd changed the rules. And because we hadn't been in Northern Territory for two weeks, we weren't allowed, we, we were from Queensland still. They'd made Queen, uh, all of Queensland like a medium risk area. Yep. So we couldn't get across the border. So we rode back to Timber Creek and we were like, well, what do we do? So then we rode around Northern Territory for eight days. <laughs> like, that was why you did. And we had no plan. Like we didn't, we were planning to go cool. to WA. So um, we, we saw some cool shit. We rode some cool stuff. We camped in some interesting places. Like we got very hot. Yeah. Um, yeah, we went to waterfalls. We saw crocodiles. Just a good time. <laughs> it was really, really fun. I loved it. My dad was in heaven, and he had no, no tent, no mosquito net. He had a short mattress that was just shoulder to hip, in the dirt. That's it. And John and I felt bad for him. We had this little like meter by, you know, half a meter tarp yep. from Bunnings, and we gave that to him so at least he wasn't in the dirt. Yeah. Um, but he was open aired. It's open aired. He'd yep. just go find a tree. Under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. John and I had a little tent. Um, and yeah, just had like the dehydrated food. And it was, yeah, it was a really cool learning experience. And I think that we did a good job considering we had never done anything like it. Yeah. Dad had ridden around Australia in his 20s, so in like the 80s on oh, a really? BMW. Yeah. Um, 
and but like literally, so he rode off into the wilderness for eight days with nothing but a bag of tea bags, some dried apricots, and some nuts and seeds. Wow! <laughs> and was like, "You've got some food for me, hey Gemma? <laughs> yeah, Dad." <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dan. Like, what a gem! Yeah, yep. just a unit, dead set unit. Um, but it's so much fun. So he loved it. He went swimming in like crocodile infested places, and he just does not give. It's just all a on. flying f. Like he just all on, just doing it. And John, he's like, "Look, I'm glad you made me do it, but I'm never doing it again." <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Not happening. So we rode up to the Cape, Dad and I, with North Queensland Trail Bike Adventures in yep. 2019. And the goal, well, the plan was dad would ride a day, John would ride a day, dad would ride a day, yep. and the other day they would be in the truck. Dad mm-hmm. rode the first day and wouldn't give John the bike. Just loved it. He just loved it so much. Yep. And John was like, yeah, fine, like, you do it. Um, I don't really care. So John sat in the truck for, like, six days. And he regretted that he missed out. He did ride the last day and got to the actual tip yep. and rode along the beaches and stuff um, and realised that it was pretty fun. And he, and he could he just was a bit worried about riding for six days because yep. he'd never ridden more than, like, probably two, three times in his life. Um, So for this one, he had like FOMO and he didn't want to miss out. So he come and did this eight days. And day two, he tells the story so good. He just chucked the biggest nana and was like, you and your dad are always in a fucking hurry to go nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, John, man, like it's it's for all of us. Like if you want us to slow down, if you want us to take a, chill pill if you want to hang out by a creek for half an hour tell us he's like oh okay and then we had a really good time (laughs) back to john again (laughs) um and so yeah he's like look i'm glad i did it but it's not for me um so we our next one we want to like go to tassie or you know the victorian high country but stay places so because he enjoyed the riding and the adventure riding suits john because adventure riding isn't about going fast it's about getting there and having this cool experience and exploring and you know deciding to take that road less traveled um but then pulling into somewhere where there's a nice comfy bed and a hot shower and some food that isn't from dehydrated you know a packet (laughs) 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 um that's definitely more john style so it it was i'm glad we did like we're all glad we did it yeah. um, and I could just live that life for the rest of my life really? so happily. Like, so you really, oh, you're at home. Yeah, there, awesome. there's no place that I'm happier. Um, and same with dad. He's yeah. just, he just loves it. Um, and dad and I, I'm glad John was there because I think dad and I might have got ourselves into some strife. John would be the voice of reason. Okay. Yeah. No, guys, it says no. No riding. Don't go down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is land you should not ride Yeah. On. Um, yep. And so it was good. John kind of slowed us up a little bit in, in a good way. How has you – you've done a fair time on the 701 now. How's I, your time been on it? I have, yeah. So I, I was not sure what it would be like and I was a little bit um, like – bit. I found it a bit daunting when I went to the 701 trek because I was yep. this, this big bike and I'm like 163 centimetres tall yep. um, and I'm, you know, like not a huge built person. Um, so I was a little bit worried. And then so the first day of the 701 trek – um, I was a bit tentative and I was, I rode like Rosie was like, Hey, this is, I forget his name. Cause I'm so bad with names, but this cool guy, he's here by himself. You guys should ride together. So I happily sat in behind him and just cruised and yep. ha- had a really nice time. And then day two got into it a little bit more and starting to feel a bit more comfortable. But I kept finding that when I would like go to go over logs and it would just like spin, that was this, this really tight section. So like right. it, the, the chili rating, it was like a six chili rating. <laughs> 
means hard. Yeah, yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> Chili riding was a pretty fun, pretty yep. fun time at the 701 checks. Um, and when I would go over Woe Boys mm-hmm. and like rev and it wouldn't, wouldn't rev in the air, so I'd land really hard and, like, hurt my wrists. And I was like, man, like, this is a cool bike, but I'm just finding it a little bit difficult. Then, day two afternoon, I find out that I had had traction control on the whole time. Really? Which stopped, like, the wheel spinning in the air, stopped the wheel spinning on the log. So yep. I was, like, pushing, like, it, this big bike over logs and stuff um, because it's different to the enduro bikes. In the enduro bikes, if the TC light is on, traction control's on. That's right, yeah. On the... 701, if the TC light is off, the traction control is on. Really? Yeah. So day <laughs> three and four was yep. awesome because then I had this bike that did what I wanted it it's to open. do. Yep. And I, as soon as you get going, you forget that it's big. It's it's so comfy. Yep. Like it's so good to ride. And we did a little bit of everything on the track. We had big open roads. We had, you know, windy bitchmen. We had open fire roads, you know, gravel, windy gravel. And then we had like super tight crossing old train lines in the rainforest and coughs yep. kind of stuff, a little bit of everything. And it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And I think, I think I only dropped it like, I don't think, I don't know if I, oh no, I dropped it heaps. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to replace quite a few levers. You did? Yeah. <laughs> Cause it would be like that pull up or I'll be sitting there talking to, you know, the guy I was riding with yep. and then all of a sudden just be like, oh. <laughs> foot race. Yeah. Yep. And then break a lever. So the boys did have to put a few new levers on for me. Has it been durable? Like for like saying you're dropping it, and it's been good. Yeah, hundred percent. So like I've I've ridden quite a few. I've done over five thousand k's on this bike now, Jeez. and um, I put bark busters on it. And now yep. I don't break levers, and I dropped it a couple of times in the NT, fully loaded, and like couldn't pick it up again. Yep. But again, it was like once I was actually riding, it was through this creek section and just hit like silt on wet rock and yep. just. But then the other times it like pull up in a car park, fell into dad once actually because <laughs> once it started going, it's just it's all over, it's gone. Yep. And then all fully loaded with all the camping gear and stuff, I couldn't pick it up. Um, but you can't tell that it's done eight days around Northern Territory in the red dirt. Like you wow. can't tell that it's been up the beach. Like it just it looks brand new still. It's it's very cool. And you know to do two and a half thousand k's around Northern Territory and do a service when we left and a service when we got back and not anything was else. awesome. Like you know yep. dad on the five hundred one had to carry oil into a service. Yep. So, but yeah, it's, it's such a cool bike. And it's, you know, and like I wrote it down, like I'm gimpy. I'm now at Slacks Creek. I wrote it yep. down the highway. And I was a little bit like, oof, geez, I'm going to ride this down the highway. And the reason was I was going to Brisbane, into Brisbane on Monday morning and I yep. wanted to lane split. <laughs> Can't do that in a car. <laughs> um, and it's not, it's, it's, a, it's comfortable. And I've got a motocross helmet on as well. Yep. Because I show up to a motocross camp and I was like, I can't ride an adventure bike with a road bike helmet and like 15 year old kids would be really judgy. So <laughs> I do the motocross <laughs> helmet. go through the head. <laughs> yep. So yeah, just earplugs, motocross helmet. It's good. Happy down the highway. Nice. Yeah. It, I, I just keep asking the question about, um, I, you know my, my thought on it, especially after like you obviously um, yourself and Rosie lent it to me at uh, at your at your event. It's pretty good. It's pretty appealing. It is. It's yep. it really can do everything. And and I've just been using it to like shoot out to school. Yep. You know, head into the gym and like to finish a gym session and then jump on the bike and feel the, feel the breeze is it's a really nice kind of switch off. And I think when you're in a car. Well, when I'm in a car, I listen to a podcast. Yep. Like I listen to an audio book and I'm always trying to learn something. When I'm on the bike, I don't. Yeah. And I have those little conversations with myself and I work out the plans for the next thing, for the next thing. And it's a, it's a good time for me, I think. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm exactly the same with that as well. Like mm-hmm. if I'm – music's just dropped off in the car. Yeah. I don't know why. Like I love music so much, but 
uh, if I'm not learning now through something, um, it just seems like a pointless trip to somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's weird how that works. It is. Why the rebranding? Um, yeah, okay. So I liked my old logo yep. um, and it saw me through a lot of different phases of like me and what I was doing and, and racing and I, I, yeah, and I, I, didn't, I didn't hate it. It was just time to mature it a little bit. Okay. I think like the colours I was using and the and the font, it was it was quite young. It was twenty two year old Gemma. Mm-hmm. It's now thirty two year old Gemma, um, and I do so much. I just do so much more than I used to. Like I, you know, I raced and that was that. Yep. Um, and and I have always done that public speaking a little bit, but it used to be a lot of like I'd just go into schools and do it for free because um, it was a good learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, and kind of just yeah spreading how much I love motorcycling to everybody. Um, but now, you know, with the, you know, I sell, like I make a lot of merch. Um, so like the shop side of things, that that's something that I think in 2022, I, I've not, I put no effort into it. Yep. I sell some really cool shirts and some cool designs because, you know, women in motorcycling, there's a bit of a lack, you, you know, there's, there's one type of style. Yep. There's, there's one style of clothing for you if you're a, if you're a girl and you ride a motorbike. Um, so I wanted to just kind of create some different options. And then my event, I've got these customers that are like, oh, my gosh, spontaneous shopping in the middle of the bush. Yes, please. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and originally, to be fair, it was a way to market myself like that paid for itself. Yep. And then I was like, oh, there's actually this opportunity for like another part of the business. But it's hard work. Like merchandise is hard. Like having yeah. a shop, and you, I've never got the right sizes, and I've never got the right colours. <laughs> There's a lot to it, eh? There's so much to it, and it's you know, it's you have to have stock sitting there, and it's a lot of money. It's to to fork out to get things happening, and um, so I think the main thing for me, the rebranding was, I want people to know I do more than coach women, mm-hmm. um, and more than run the fun events. I've also got the shop. And I, and I speak and I love the speaking side of what I do and I want to do it more. Yep. And I would like the opportunity to – like I've, I did one at MX store oh, a year ago maybe um, and, it was, and it was to the girls and it was like a girls can do anything kind of talk for International Women's Day. But the whole motivational team building, you know, the messages that I have, it's not just about International Women's Week. Right. It can be, you know, any sort of corporate environment, like, you know, and – and do interactive leadership, you know, like, you, you know, you have big companies get, you know, a football player in. Yes. And they do a good job and it's really cool, but why can't it be motorcycling? For sure. Why, it's the same message, but it's motorcycling. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, that, that's what the rebranding was about. And my website, like obviously all of my events you book through my website and it was a bit clunky and it was really great. And I, I used another, another local Gimpy lady and she did a brilliant job and, it, like, her pricing was very, very um, achievable for me yep. back then. Um, and I didn't know what I needed in a website, but it was just time to have something a bit nicer and a bit more streamlined, a little bit more user-friendly because yep. um, I think my old website was a little bit clunky, but it's because it, we just kept adding to it as yep. things grew. But this has been, like, custom-made for everything that I need um, and it's, it's really pretty. Nice. <laughs> And it's, it funnels, it works well. Like it funnels through as well. well yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, you yeah, had to click and click and click and guess and click and then maybe get to an entry. <laughs> like your event, like an event. If you've got a poor user experience at the front end of it, yep. it makes it very difficult to have a year event on that. Yeah. And so, and that was one of the reasons for the new website was I want the customer experience to be amazing right yep. from that first moment that a lady sees a Gemma Wilson event flyer. Yep. Um, 
because that's what it's about. It's about them. And that's, and that's a big thing about my weekends too. It's not about me. It's about them. Mm. Um, and I think that's where some like people who go from coach, go from racing to coaching, they forget it. It's mm. not about them anymore. Um, and it's, yeah, it's about the women meeting other chicks, yep. asking questions. Yeah. I don't, I don't really even talk about myself ever at them because it's not about me. It's, it's about the girls. I sit back and let them make new friends. And racer brain, that's very difficult to, to turn off for, for a lot of people, <laughs> you know, like it's, it has been me for, for a long time, I guess, too. So was that a hard transition? Uh, not in the coaching sense because I've never really – like doing a podcast. So like I did a podcast with Gypsy Tales a couple yep. of years ago and so many people were like, holy shit, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about you in that way. And they'd be like my husband's best mates who I used to live with when I was like 18. Really? And they didn't know most of the stuff because I don't really talk about myself. So doing a podcast is a really amazing opportunity because it is just talking about yourself. Yeah. Um, so for me in that environment, turning off the racer brain wasn't hard, but for my personal relationship with John mm. – Yep. That ha- that has been that has been hard. Yeah, right. Yeah. So kudos to him. <laughs> again. <laughs> again. But, um, yeah. A lot of um a lot of the <coughs> boys in the racer world. Uh it was a bit of a saying, poor John. Really? Yeah, poor John. Having to deal with me. Poor John. <laughs> poor John. <laughs> what other events, things would you like to see, have, do, all that? Um, so for twenty twenty two, I'm not I'm not doing anything new. I'm not doing anything more because I want to make the events that I have even better um, and find ways to, like, promote and work with the partners in more interesting ways and, uh, you know, because a couple of the events I feel like I've just I've just had the time to make them happen yep. but not grow them or make them better because for the past few years I've just been adding and adding and adding and, and seeing an opportunity and taking it. Um, so for 2022, I'm pretty... Adamant. <laughs> things, things change. Uh, yep. <laughs> but at the moment, I'm pretty adamant that I'm going to have the five Fox Women's Off-Road campouts. Yep. So two in Queensland, two in Victoria and one in New South Wales. Fingers crossed for New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Husqvarna Women's Trail Ride, the now Dry Times Women's Ride Day. Yep. Um, and the Hightail Fancy Ladies Road Ride. So Dry Times and Hightail and you naming right sponsors for those events. That's mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Um, and that's nothing I didn't run last year. Um, oh, sorry, this year. We're still in this year. Yeah, doesn't seem like it, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I just want to make them even better and, and kind of plug some holes. And, you know, I've thought about 80% of the customer experience. I want to make that last 20%. Yep. You know, yeah, even better. And um, sometimes where, like, for example, and it's little things. So at the Fox Women's, oh, was Fox Women's Ride Day, now Dry Times Women's Ride Day, uh, we have mechanics, we supply mechanics, um, and same with the Husqvarna Women's Trial Ride. We, we ex- encourage the girls to leave their support crew at home yep. to come and do it yourself because, unfortunately, we lose so many women riders because they love riding bikes with their husband or their dad or their brother or their boyfriend, but then their circumstances change and they don't know how to do it without yep. that male in their life. So the idea is get the support if you need it to load up at one end. We'll help you at the other end if you need it. But most of the time the girls are like, I'll sing out if I need you but I'm going to give this a red hot crack, which yep. is awesome and I love that. So because we tell them to leave their support crew at home, we supply mechanics and we also, um, where we can, depending on what bikes are available, supply some demo bikes so girls can come and have a go on a new 250 or 350 or 150 Husky. Yep. Um, but when you're kind of standing around, milling around, waiting for you know Marcel or one of the Husky mechanics to fix your bike, there's like nowhere comfy to sit. 
So we realised, oh, we need like another couple quick shades. We need some bean bags. We need like an esky there with some waters. You know, like we need some sort of environment there because yep. we're, we're missing an opportunity for a cool customer experience. So like the the main parts of the events are fantastic. So for 2022, I, I want to fix those events. Yes. Oh, sorry, those parts of the events, yep. make them even better. Um, and then obviously like Transmodos, I love them. Um, I do a few. I do the ones that I can. But for 2022, I'm going to go down and hang out with the Transmodo boys for the week before their first um, event at Tumut, I think you say it. T-U-M-U-T. Yeah. Tumut. It's like turmeric. It's how I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> the great anti-inflammatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, and kind of like work experience. Because I'm sure I don't know what I don't know, mm-hmm. and, you know. And they run such an amazing event on such a grand scale. For sure. Um, and they've been doing it for a lot longer. And there's, you know, three of them that co-own Transmodo now. And I'm just poor little old me. <laughs> so I want to see what, what they achieve and how they achieve it. Um, and they're happy for me to come and learn, which is pretty awesome that they want to share that knowledge with me and not keep it all to themselves. For sure. And, yep. you know, and they could just sweep in and, like, try to take everything that I've created, but they want to help me succeed even more with what yep. I've created, which is pretty amazing. And like, thank you so much to the Transmodo boys. Yep. Um, so go and get, be, be a bit more involved with the Transmodo side of things. Um, and then also just recently, like over the weekend, I think Transmodo and Husqvarna, Gas Gas KDM um, announced a customer experience events yep. um, in May and April. Kuby Dam, May. Stroud. Yeah, Stroud. So yeah, Stroud, Kuby Dam, um, Wangaratta. Wangaratta. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like two weeks. So it's, it's one weekend, two, two weekends later, and then three weekends later. It's later after that. Yeah. So May, June, start of July. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to them, and I'm going to be at all three as an ambassador okay. for Husky. And yep. so we were actually talking about this <laughs> before we yeah, set up the mics. Yeah, previously. Yeah. But having – so so many guys over the years have been like, why don't you run camp outs for men? And I'm like, guys, serious. You don't need a special weekend to go ride motos with your mates. Yep. Like, you you do it. You already do it. Um, but I think that this is a really cool because Transmodo and KDM Gas Gas Husqvarna have partnered up to create kind of the – if you've got Transmodo, which is a timed trail ride, I think of it, but a race. Yep. Um, and then my events, which are a really fun, you know, recreational event, and you mush them together, you've got this fun recreational event for the blokes – um, which is going to be really cool. And their family. So it's designed for, you know, a family event. Um, you know, dad will be there with his husky and my yep. little sister will be there with her little husky and it'll be a real family environment at the Kubi Dam one, that's for sure. Um, so I'm really looking forward to them and I think that's a really cool initiative and good on, again, like, you know, husky. Forward thinking. Yeah, forward thinking and, and thinking outside the mould and giving giving customers somewhere to ride their new bikes. Yeah. Which then they go, well, oh, I need that new helmet. I'll, I'll buy it now, you know. Oh, I, I've got to put fuel on my bike. I've got to get new tyres. I've got to do that oil change. Yeah. yeah, my kid needs a new bike. I'll buy it now. Like, Yeah, and you, you bring that user experience in, don't you? You're, you're yeah, sold on it. Yeah, know? yeah, and then people, you know, happy to go spend their money in the industry, which grows our industry, to go and have fun on their bikes, which is awesome. So good on Transmodo and Husky. And at the end of the day, like, you take away the event side of it, the partnerships that you've got and the relationships, the brands want to sell bikes. You know, yep. that's the, the end goal is that. And, you know, these brands that are thinking like that, they'll sell bikes from it. Yeah, imagine if, like, you, you and your four mates, right, yep. and your four mates have Huskies or KDMs or gas gases, yep. and they're going to the Ride Out Moto Weekend. Yeah. And you've got a Yamaha. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to miss out, are you? <laughs> no, you're going to go buy a bike, aren't you? Yeah, so, yeah, good on them. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's smart, and it's the way that, 
you know, uh, you mentioned it before, forward thinking, you know, uh, if you keep thinking forward about how to, how to create better user experiences, it's going to happen. And Transmodo filled that plug massively in the 2000s, you know, the mid 2000, whatever it was. Um, and now it's just grown from that, isn't it? Yeah. And how crazy, like how quickly Transmodo sell out. Insane. And how many events they have planned in 2022. Yeah. Like they are busy, busy boys and it's so cool. And as you know from running an event, to run, say, eight grand scale, six or eight, whatever it is, yeah. grand scale events, that's that's more than full time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a big job. Yeah, so. it's a big job, yeah. So my hat goes off to them, that's for sure. And, like, they have suffered so hard with COVID. Yes. I've been pretty lucky. Like, I haven't made it to Vic. Obviously, I didn't make it to um, New South Wales this year, but I managed to, like, slip in between a, you know, a lull in yep. COVID um, last year. So I've only missed... Um, New South Wales one year, Victoria two years, but I've got to run everything else. That's good. Yeah. Um, and a couple of things I've had to, you know, change, like Ulta, you know, keep small, like the Fancy Ladies Road Ride this year was when we had um, some restrictions around how many people could be in a house. Yep. So we could only have seven riders, myself, Izzy helping me out and yep. Zoe Bakari being sweet rider. So... Like we, were, we had to keep it small. But other than that, like I've pretty much just got to run my events. So I'm, I've been very lucky. Absolutely. You really have. And you, you look at, you know, you look at Transmodo. Um, it's been tough for them, you know. They're doing some – always got stuff happening. That, yes, that's so the other proactive. Side of it, you know, yeah. so um, what other events – like are you going back to in New South Wales, Victoria and like high country stuff again? That'll be – where you, was it Dargle? Where'd you, where'd you base yourself that time? That's that's what I'm actually getting at. Yeah, no, so for Victoria, I use um, a property at Poor Punker, so just outside Bright. Whose was that again? So that's the Magoos. Yeah. Um, Are so, you going back to there at all? Yeah. That's so the plan, that's, hey? that's Victoria in late October. So yeah, two cool. back-to-back weekends in October. Yeah. Um, and then Gloucester. So it's like yep. a thousand-acre property on the Barrington River. Yeah. yeah. Um, just outside Gloucester. And so as things work out, the Ollie and James, his two best mates, own it. And my friend Helly, she gets her eyebrows done by Ollie's wife. Wow. And Ollie's wife was like, yeah, if you ever want to use property. And Helly's like, well, I've got this friend. And they're like, yeah, sure. So we ran a camp out out there last year and the boys come out and, like, helped out and slashed tracks and you know, help the girls get some bikes going in the morning and then disappeared and made themselves scarce while we did our ladies only thing. And then like they took rubbish back for us. Jeez. And yeah, they're really, really, really nice dudes. So, and, and I love that, that I get, and like they didn't want money for it. So quite a few properties that I use don't want money. So we do donations to Westpac yep. because I feel like, uh, you know, I'm running a business. Yep. I'm, I don't want to take something for nothing kind of thing. So yeah, we, whenever people want to do that, I do a donation on their behalf to Westpac Chopper because who knows? Yep. One of us might need it one time. <laughs> happens. Yeah, yeah, so, and that's what I try to do with my events is use really special properties. Yep. So we're not just sitting in some crap hole that, or, or going to some place where, where anyone could just ride any day of the week. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like MX Farm, you can go there, you know, any weekend, but can you have the whole park to yourself? No. And can you be broken into, you know, I'm a beginner and I'm going to use that jump as a hill climb? Yep. So you're broken into a group with all girls that are using the jump as a hill climb so that you're not scared about getting jumped on. Yep. So creating, taking away the intimidation. That's what all like my ladies only, and it's not just my ladies only events. Any of my coaching, you know, when I have like big group coaching too, it's all about taking away the intimidation. doesn't matter who you are, what bike you're on, whether you're a dude or a woman, it's, we're all riding bikes. Yep. We're all got to start somewhere. And we all get intimidated. 
Exactly. Like, it doesn't matter it's who, not just the girls. We all get intimidated <laughs> and, you know, I've, yeah, everyone does, mm-hmm. you know. I've been with you and been intimidated, like not intimidated but looked at things and gone and I've seen you explain it to somebody and then me attack it myself. Yeah. It makes sense. So what's what's a perfect day for Gemma Wilson riding-wise? What, what do you like to ride and what's your terrain? What, what do you what do you look for? Um, so single single trail. That's single you? lane, yeah. So like Emmamore, I've been running a fair bit in Emmamore recently. So good, hey? Yeah, and um so my friend Luke, um Trakowski from Village Bicycle. Yep. He's just starting a company called Trailbound Tours. Yep. Um and so he's he'll do a bang up job, like he's legit and yep. he's a chef, so overnight and you know, cater and create just create a really cool vibe. So it's gonna be you know, for everybody, um, and I put my hand up to be a sweep if he's short of sweep. Yep. You know, not all the time, but if he's short of sweep every now and then, um, and that's going to be, yeah, based in Emmamore. But he's been scouting that out and making these amazing plans, routes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, taking along with him has nice. been really fun over the last, yeah, couple of months because he's learnt that place like the back of his hand. So yep. it's nice It's nice when you go somewhere and you've got a leader who knows where that's the good great. stuff is. It's like we've cut a lot of tracks ourselves up there with my Different business to Luke's. Yeah. <laughs> um, TRC Adventures for anyone listening. Um, <laughs> but it, um, there's so much up there. Yeah, It's so really much. good to ride. So. Yeah, and a little, and it's something for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not hardcore. Like you go a bit further south, it's rocky, ruddy, um, can be a bit harder for everyone. But Yeah, that, and like the full cool. drive ruts and all that kind of stuff when you get like glass housey area and yeah. Yeah, it's yep. a bit funny. So, yeah. Ah, interesting. So that's you, single tracks. Yeah, but I am enjoying the 701. Yeah. In like in that little bit more open stuff mm-hmm. too, which is is new. I didn't think I would, and like we did a ride with Luke Kempy from um, Young Henry's, yep. and Kempy rode one of the seven hundred ones. I was in a seven hundred one. Luke was on his four fifty, and my friend Jenna, who works at um, MX Store Generator, yep. um, shout out to her Instagram page, Cheese McQueen. She makes cheese. Wow. <laughs> um, she was on my two fifty and. So we went and did this huge day's riding. So we both rode the 701s from my house to my dad's and yep. I showed her around like where I grew up and, you know, it was a bit of a ride. It was a pre-ride ride. And then the boys showed up. She jumped on my 250. We rode from my house, so like just outside Gympie, to Kalula Way, up Kalula Way, through King's Boar, to yep. Rainbow, had lunch, up the beach, back through Freshwater, back along Kalula Way, back to my house. We got in like on dark. Big day. And she goes, yeah, so that was my first trail ride ever. Serious? <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> um, but, like, I really, really enjoyed that. And, you know, I'm cruising along, you know, and we were sharing bikes a little bit because I wanted, like, Luke and Kempy to both try the 701 and Jenna to try the 701. And just, and, like, not trying to go fast, just riding with my friends. Like, yeah. it was just such a good day. Can't be those days. Yeah, you know, having lunch at the beach. So th- I, I'm really enjoying that kind of riding now as well. Hard to beat. Yeah, definitely. Well... We've probably done, I don't know, how long do you reckon? Are oh, you looking at your watch. I looked at my watch. Yeah, I didn't think it was that long. Yeah, we've done a bit over two hours, Gemma. <laughs> I, I, you can chat all day. I could. <laughs> <laughs> I can chat all day. But, um, yeah, we'll leave it there for, for now anyway. Um, thanks thanks for everything. Obviously, you've employed me. Um, <laughs> um, you're a friend. And, um, yeah, just thanks so much for coming in. Genuinely appreciate you as a person and, everything that you're doing for the sport. So thanks heaps, eh? Yeah, thanks you too. And um, I've been listening to a few episodes of the podcast and you know so much, like you don't have your blinkers on and I really appreciate that for someone who's like in your role doing this podcast because, yeah, you do a really good job of it. 
Awesome. Thanks, yeah. mate. Well, cool. Um, yeah, let's hang out. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> That's all we have time for on today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on the Talk and Chatter page. Also, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review there. It all helps to get the podcast out there. A big thank you goes to everyone that's been doing this already, and uh, we'll be back with another show soon.